and welcome back to Top 5. Thanks for joining us again this week for a little bit of conversation about some movies. I have my friend Sam here. Hey, everybody. Um, I am Sam Atlas, and I'm also here <laughs> to talk about some movies today. Yes. So Sam and I have known each other for um, a very long time. How long have we known? It's like been years. Like four or five years, right? Probably at least four years, right? Because I've known you since before I was on my current project. And yeah. that was like three years ago. So I when I met you. Longer. We're in 2020. So 2016. Yeah. What did, I think it was before 2016. I feel maybe not. It was probably like 2015 or 16, I think. I think it was 20. Yeah, it was probably 2015, 2016. It's probably before the election. I think it was. Yeah, you know what? I think it must right. have been I before the was. election. So it's probably like mid to late 2015. Yeah, that, that lines up with. um. That lines up with big life events in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, ah. so yeah, we've known each other for quite some time. Um, the reason I chose Sam to be on the podcast is because he is another very big movie buff. Um, Sam is. I, I mean, you. I you can. I guess you can decide how to describe yourself, but I would say that you're really into like independent films and yeah. like really, really, you know, films that are coming out of small studios, maybe even like home films. Like, oh yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm big on like anything I haven't seen before. Like I think I can enjoy just about anything if it's like new and different and weird. Like um, I was big on when when Movie Pass was happening. I was like a big Movie Pass fiend during the during the period where it actually worked. There was like a nine month yeah. period. Um, <laughs> I'm I've told you this plenty yeah. of times probably, but but for anyone who's listening who might not have heard about this, um, it's over. Like you missed it. The promo's gone. You can't. The story I'm about to tell is not. You can't do this anymore. But there was this beautiful nine-month period where you could spend $10 for a card per month, and it would give you infinite theater movies. And so I started just going in the movies a lot. And I'd always liked movies, but the ability of being able to just go see whatever for effectively for free, I kind of expanded the set of things I saw. And I, yeah. I did. for a little while, I was even working at the Independent Theater in Capitol Hill, the um, Northwest Film Forum. So for a while, I was just going to see everything they were showing. And then I found out I like art documentaries. And that opened up a whole door of there's always more art documentaries to watch. So yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> but the thing yeah. is, I like I like big dumb Hollywood movies too. Yeah. Like um Sam, Yeah, I will say Sam and I so we I mean, again, like when we before pre COVID, um, I mean Sam and I we kind of fall off every now and again, which is probably yeah. really bad. We need to do a better job <laughs> of staying in touch. But like we'll like not talk to each other for six months and then we'll like go out to a few movies or yeah. you know, like go grab drinks or something like that. So um, you know, there there are times when like, you know, Sam will text me or I'll text Sam and be like, Oh, I really want to see this movie. I need someone yeah. to come with me. Will you wanna come with me? Um again, pre COVID, now yeah. the movie theaters are happening. So that actually that movie pass thing, even it though was... movie pass itself isn't um, any longer a thing I started yeah. doing I don't know if you knew this but AMC basically had their own a like movie pass version oh yeah 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 is that yeah, um so I did that are they still charging you um no they're not charging me in COVID thank god <laughs> like basically when the movie theater shut down they stopped charging me which is good okay but I mean it, it was essentially the same thing as movie pass except for yeah. it only worked for instead of every single movie theater it only worked for AMC which is fine because yeah Seattle has like a bajillion AMC theaters you know um, I, I live near the AMC now the um yeah. the one the one right in the U oh, district the one oh, that serves yeah that's that's my favorite one because it's it serves booze yeah and it yeah, serves it booze it's, it's great like you can get a drink there's no children it's and there's no it's children a win -win yeah situation <laughs> 
remember that. I hope it I, I I'm really hoping it reopens in, in oh, some I really form. Hope so too. I've been reading a lot of articles, unfortunately, that they are going to close. And I hope that's not true. Like COVID needs to I'm still be figured I'm still out. I still think that a lot of the big movie theaters like I think a lot of movie theaters are gonna close. I think some of them are going to get scooped up by a certain corporation. Yeah. And that certain corporation. Um <laughs> We'll rename nameless, but we all know what it is. Well, it's it's not even like when I it could it could be a couple of different companies, right? But I think that movie theaters serve a lot more value for content creators right now than they do for. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think it makes. I think the 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 industry model of people owning these multiplexes that sell Hollywood movies, like I think independent theaters are probably going to stick around and they're going to become mm-hmm. like art houses and and they're going to run on like charitable um, uh, membership programs like they already do. Like yeah. I, was, I was I saw one article that was talking about how. Um, all the movie theaters that have closed, the independent ones actually they already know their audience. So like once they reopen, they kind of can guarantee how many people are going to come back. For sure, for sure, yeah. Whereas like these big multiplexes, um, if Marvel starts releasing their films online, who's going to go to the like the big movie theaters are so dependent on the big movies mm-hmm. that it's it's they're kind of in a in a bad spot even more so. Like the independent film theaters, they can only make X amount of money, but that amount of money isn't changing. Like once COVID's yeah. over, all the weirdos like me who go to see art documentaries <laughs> at 8 p.m. on a Tuesday, like we're still going to go. But the people who go to the theater to see Captain Marvel at 7 p.m. on a Wednesday are just going to watch it at home. At home. Well, OK, so I think that that's like such an interesting thing to think about. I was thinking about that the other day when I was writing that article about AMC potentially not making it through COVID. But to me... I actually don't want to pay money to watch like the same movie on my television screen. Oh yeah. Yeah. I guess to me, like it's one of those things where like they have all these new movies that are coming out and you can just like buy the movie straight out, but then you like could rent it for what it's, you know, give or take yeah. about what it would cost to go to the movie theater. But to me, the only good thing about like watching the movie um, at my house is that I can do it without any pants on. Otherwise, yeah. like the seats are better in the movie theater, the popcorn's yeah. better in the movie theater, the drinks are better in the movie theater. Like, I like the experience of going out and going to the theater, and also yeah. the screen is massive. Like, yeah. I, I have like a rinky dink, like little thirty-two inch screen TV. Like, it's not the same experience. Um, there are definitely some movies, like like with that AMC Movie Pass that I had. Um, there's some movies that I was going to that I was like. This movie looks really stupid. Yeah. But I have nothing to do and it's Tuesday yeah. afternoon. So I'm going to go. Yeah. And I would never pay for those things both in my house or in the movie theater if I had to pay full price. Like there's no way. Sometimes. Um, because I was. Yeah. Because I was I doing saw that some, movie theater thing. I was. Good. Yeah. I saw some bad movies on MoviePass. And there were oh, so yeah. many. There were so many times where I was like sitting in the theater being like, this sucks. I'm glad I didn't pay for it. But also. <laughs> But also, like, I'm I'm enjoying the idea that this is, like, mass market entertainment. Like, I'm enjoying oh, yeah. learning about what other people... Like, some of the other people in this room seem to have paid to be here. And they seem to be having a different experience than me. So there, there's also moments like that. Like, I saw that movie... Um, this is not on my list. But um, <laughs> it was a film called... Uh, I think it was called Book Club or something. It was about a bunch of... Um, older women who who's form a book club to read the 50 shades of gray books oh yes i remember that. i didn't see that but i remember what film you're talking about it got kind of bad reviews and i was reading the description i remember i was at this party and i was like i don't really want to be at this party anymore i kind of want to go go see a movie instead of being at this party for some reason um and i remember reading because i was like oh i want to see a comedy it's it's labeled as a comedy and the reviews were kind of bad but the description made it sound kind of like sex in the city so i was like oh that could be good um it was nothing like sex in the city <laughs> 
<laughs> but like the exact the point opposite. Is, yeah, it was quite different. It was not anywhere near as fun. It was probably more fun than the movies, the Sex and the City movies, but but yeah. lots of things are more fun than the Sex and the City movies. Um, <laughs> but the point is I had fun watching it, even though it was like boring yeah. and there was only like one plot arc that was kind of interesting because I was like, oh, this isn't for me. Like this is a comedy for like a different generation. This is like a yeah. comedy for like a different demographic. And it's like, it's boring and like I'm not having fun and I don't recommend, or I was having fun, but it's not like, a, it's not like I recommend the movie or anything, but I was having yeah. fun with the experience of going to see it. Mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, I th- there's something to be said about like being in a theater with a bunch yeah. of people and, you know, like laughing at the really dumb parts with people and, and all yeah. of that stuff. So in that regards, like I totally, I totally understand it. I miss the theater experience. It's like one of the, one of the big things because it wasn't about like, um, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't just like, oh, better video quality, better this, better that. It's also like, I find myself like focusing more because, because yeah. there's like nothing else going on. Like this room is for the film. Like, we're not going to mm-hmm. do other stuff in this room. It's, like, rude to talk. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was definitely some movies that I watched that were super great, and I loved them, and I was like, I would have even paid full price for this. Yeah. And there was movies that I was like, this was kind of a waste of my life and my time. Yeah. Um, let's see, the good ones, think about one. The good ones make oh, up for the bad ones, I feel like. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like that movie um, Wind River. Do you ever see that movie Wind River? Oh, no. No one talked about it. It was great. Like it's it's there's not a lot to talk about other than just describing the plot, but it's like very intense and like um okay. that was one of the first movies after I got Movie Pass. I remember thinking like, yeah, I would have never watched that, but that was great. It's about this um oh. this like wilderness um wildlife control guy who gets gets called into this this murder or or, or he he discovers a body in in yeah. the the frozen wilderness around this reservation and they're the local authorities are like ill-equipped to investigate and he's not really a cop. He's like a, he's like a, a um, um, what's the word? Wildlife control guy. Okay. And so he, he mostly, he mostly deals with like mountain lions and stuff. And yeah. so it's like, what's, what's, what's the most dangerous animal in the wilderness? And it sort of, <laughs> it sort of goes there. <laughs> uh, I was like, um, I'm trying to think, Oh, you know what? I saw using the AMC movie pass. I saw that movie. Um, it was that, that, Fast and Furious spinoff with the Oh, that would have been a good and, Yeah. The Rock presents um, something 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 action yeah, movie. Yeah. Oh, oh, um, um Hobbs and Shaw, that's it. Cuz yeah, it's just about yeah. those two characters. And the 7 the minute trailer. These are just like this whole they're they're this whole I don't even get the Fast and Furious movies. Like do I watch them? Absolutely. Do I pay to watch them? Absolutely not unless the fast they're first. already on like Netflix. Yeah. But I was like, "Hey, I have the movie pass. I'm going to go see it." The worst thing is, as I waste, you know, two hours of my life and maybe gain a couple pounds from eating popcorn. Like, <laughs> yeah. Lose some brain cells. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. A little bit. Was it good? Um, did it did the did Higgs and Shaw, did they become friends? Uh, So I, I guess. Yeah, sort of. Um, did I they mean, learn? Are they, are they friends or did they just team up to um, go against a bigger enemy? Because I don't know. You, every you saw the movie. movie is. I haven't seen the movie. Is, is like, that what happens? Yeah, pretty much. Like, I feel like there... every single movie, they they have these two characters, and then they're, like, completely pit against each other. And then by the end of the movie, they're, like, best buddies. But then by the next time the, the next movie rolls around, they hate each other again. Do they refer like, to each really other? Do they refer to each other as family? Do they refer to each other as family? Yeah. Um, oh, yes, they do at the very end. Right. That's, I, I mean, I knew it. But, is that, that, well, I mean, that's, that is literally the last line of every Fast and Furious movie where, like, Vin Diesel's like, we're family or, like, we believe in family or, like, 
if the one thing that stays stagnant in life is fat like he's like the whole movies are supposed to be about family and yet they're yeah. like fighting terrorists yeah in like uzbekistan like yeah like, those movies have come such a long way and i don't know if that's a compliment i think i only saw the first one that's probably good because i'm to... gonna be honest it might have been the only good one really i, I i've always like meant to go back and down. i like dumb shit though i like i like dumb bullshit well, okay, I will say they go up in production value, down in storyline. So if you're just into, like, a, a, I want a ton of action and, like, ridiculousness, they get better and better and better. If you're like, I want a really good storyline, only watch the first one. I see. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, so anyway, um, long story short, Sam and I yeah. have known for each other for a, quite a few years, and we're both pretty big movie buffs. Um, we watch say a ton of movies. We tend to agree, more or less. Like, I don't think we have drastically different... Like, usually, if I like a movie, you'll like it, and often we'll, like, yeah. like it for different reasons, but usually, mm-hmm. um, if something's bad, we'll, like... Usually, we either both hate it, both like it, or have, like, mixed feelings. Like, it's usually yeah. not... We're usually not, like, diametrically opposed on our feelings, but not, not always. No. Sometimes we are, but not not usually. Yeah, I would say most of the time, most of the time we're we're pretty aligned. Um, every now and again, it's it's very different. But I would say for most, yeah, for most of the part, we're pretty aligned in our, in our movie going. I feel so, like Sam, you've probably watched more movies. Like if you had to put a number on it, how many movies? Okay, two questions. This is a two prong yeah. question. Yeah. One, how Hit many me. movies do you think you average per year that you watch? Um, and this is in theater and outside of theaters. And uh-huh. then two, how many movies do you think that you've watched um, among the uh, your entire lifetime? Um, total per year is probably like, um, maybe like a hundred mm-hmm. or yeah, uh, something around a hundred probably. Cause that's like every three or four days and some days yeah. actually it's probably a little less than that. It's probably more like every week I'll watch a movie. Okay. Um, cause some weeks I don't. And then some weeks I'll watch two. I, I bet you it evens out to about once a week. So let's say a hundred, whatever. Um, and then total lifetime. Yeah. Who knows? Let's say, um, <laughs> I'm going to say uh, 1,200 because I wasn't watching as many movies when I was like a little kid. Okay. I mean, that seems reasonable. What would you estimate? Um, I would actually estimate more. It's funny that you averaged it out because you said like maybe you would average out to one a week or something like that, one or two a week. Yeah. I would say I watch more than that. But I will say I think I started later. Um. It's a well, whole some weeks story when I was a kid, I didn't watch nearly as many movies. Like I enjoyed movies, yeah. but I didn't have as wide as um an interest in movies. And then that kind of as I got older and older and older, my interest in movies grew. So now I feel like I'm doing I'm like watching all these new films that are coming out, but also trying to catch up on all the films that I missed as a kid. Oh yeah, yeah. That'll um, get you. So, Cuz then there's so many. Exactly, exactly. So I would actually probably average between like 3 and 4 movies a week. For the past uh, seven years, hmm. so math, I don't actually know what that is. Let's see. Seven, 70,000. 70,000. And then- That's a guess. I, I didn't do the math. I don't know. Okay. I was like, wow, you're, you're looking at math. Six million movies. Um, so that's what I would say I'd average like for the past couple of years. But then before that, I would say I was averaging like maybe like one one movie a week. Um, yeah. So I've definitely like maybe maybe I'm underestimating. Sometimes I definitely watch more than one a week. Yeah, I mean, like I I'm the type of person who will like 
you know, come home and if I, you know, if it's just a Thursday afternoon and I yeah. don't have plans, you know, yeah. I'll just come home and I'll be like, oh, sure, like, let's watch a movie right before bed. Um, sometimes it's a movie I've already seen. Sometimes it's a new movie. I definitely choose movies based off of my moods. Like, I'm like, I'm in the mood for like a serious film. I'm in the mood yeah. for like a really, really dumb comedy that I'm probably going to regret watching. Um, you know, things like that. But yeah, I would yeah. say I watched probably too many movies. I should be doing better things with my lives. What's my wrong life. with movies? Nothing's wrong with movies. But I could, you know, I probably could have like cured cancer by now if I had devoted that time to something different. Um. Hmm. <laughs> wow, thank you. Well, but okay, but like, um, would you have been a like? I think it's important to do things other than your primary work. True. Like, if your primary job was was cancer research, like it's it's kind of interesting. Um, I feel like the pandemic puts everything into perspective, but like, it's important to live a life. Like you can't oh, live a hundred, sure. you can't hundred, you can't spend a hundred percent of your time being productive. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about that a lot because I've been on vacation and there's been very little forcing me to like wake up in the morning and oh, we know, or I know, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean that in like a excess, it's like a philosophical, it's been like an interesting experience because I still am doing things every day. I'm just doing them at like weird times. And I'm yeah. like, I have all this time to, to, to spend doing the things I want to do, but also like there's a bunch of things that aren't like immediately fun that I still make time for. And so yeah. it's like my theory for me personally is that there's like a, there's like a natural kind of, I have a natural capacity for work per day and mm-hmm. that I, I, I can like fill that up. But then it's like after that's been filled, like it's okay to chill a bit. It's a, Yeah. No, so it's, it's for me, it's not zero sum. Like if I spend extra time to like like watching a movie instead of going to sleep or something, it's not like the yeah. next day I have less total human energy. Yeah, that's, that's how I think true. about it. So like so okay. sometimes I get energized by like yeah. even something that might oh, take no, sure. take energy. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so well, um, this week, um, and this is I guess one of the reasons why I chose Sam because I thought he would have some some good observations. But this week's topic, we are talking about coming of age films. But we're specifically talking about coming of age films uh, that are based around a male. And I feel like if I say male, is it, I don't want it to like misgender, like, is it better to say boys? Is it, I'm not really sure. We said male. I don't know either. Yeah. Male coming of age, age stories, which um, in my mind, the reason I did males is because when I was thinking of coming of age stories, I was like, all of the ones I can think about off the top of my head are totally around women, are totally around girls. So I was a lot like, of recent a coming of age. Yeah. yeah, I think there's been a, there's been a couple of really big coming of age movies recently that have have centered around female leads that have been yeah. really great. Like um like obvious stuff like Eighth Grade, Lady Bird, mm-hmm. like big, very successful films that are also great. Yeah, did you watch Booksmart? That was really good too. I did watch Booksmart. I liked it. I didn't like it as much as those other two movies, but I did like it. I will say. Um, Eighth grade, great coming of age film, but it's yeah. almost too good because it's so realistic. Like I was yeah. sitting there, I was squirming, I was so uncomfortable, but it was because it was so good. I was like, oh my gosh, I remember these awkward moments when I was in eighth grade. Like this is yeah. this is too much. <laughs> I remember I've seen that movie both times, and I remember both times having like strong emotional reactions to like large sections of that movie. Yeah, yeah. That's but, a very um, effective yeah. movie. Yeah, but yeah, again, very, very good uh, coming of age films. A lot of coming of age films um, have been coming out recently. I'd say like probably in the past five years, like the amount of coming of age stories have like increased Do you think quite so? a bit. Um, but 
um yeah i think there's quite a quite a few ones so yeah Mm -hmm. the ones that we needed to choose from were based around a male which i thought was interesting you know when i was talking to my boyfriend about our topic uh he was like star wars and i was like first (laughs) of all no calm down (laughs) Um, well 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 oh no i hope i haven't knocked one of your movies off of your list well 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 well. i mean (laughs) We could talk about the plot of Star Wars Episode Four. Okay, that okay. I will say okay. Yes, Reason but um, it. we'll we'll get to it in a bit. We'll get to it. Okay. Yeah. But also, okay. So here's here. I mean, I guess how when you were like thinking about your list mm-hmm. and like the topic, like coming of age story. Like, yeah. What in your mind was like your criteria of what a coming of age movie is or isn't? So I, I um. I forget my exact process. I think I looked it up. I think I like went to Wikipedia and I was like, coming of age narrative. And I was thinking yeah. about it. And for me, I think I've decided that my definition of coming of age is it's a story where a character kind of transitions from kind of a child to like more of an adult role in their society. Mm-hmm. And that means okay. different things in different societies. So like um, eighth grade is a great example of a coming of age movie where the character comes of age in like America. And yeah. like they're, they're, they're going from being like a, a kid to like a young adult kind of, or like a teen or whatever. And they're experiencing like, they're right on the threshold of that. They're experiencing like the, their first taste of like a bunch of teenage crap. And like, um, but not everybody in every society experiences life that way. And so yeah. my movie is kind of, um, I like let go a little bit of a specific age group for the character and thought more about kind of where the character, the main character was at the beginning and kind of, where they are at the end. Um, I okay. also opened up my, I like broadened it a little bit to include situations where the character maybe doesn't, um, where it's like questionable whether they actually came of age, but they probably thought they did. Okay. So like, oh, okay. so like I'm, I'm ready to, I'm ready to take, um, I'm ready to acknowledge that some of my films are only coming of age stories from certain perspectives. Uh, you know, I know why it's because one of your films definitely is star Wars and I've just trashed it. <laughs> Yeah, one of my films is Star Wars. No! But, um, oh my gosh. Well, um, Star Wars Four is like a, uh, it's on my list, and it, it's, uh, it's absolutely. I think it's a coming of age story because he, he goes, Luke goes from from living in one place to living in a much bigger place and understanding like his role in in this much bigger world and his responsibility, okay. and like okay. he transitions from being um, a person with a kind of a small sphere to being a person mm-hmm. with a huge sphere. Mm-hmm. And he, he realizes like the importance of because he's he's familiar with the strife that's going on at the start. Like he knows that there's these these like robot smugglers and there's like evil soldiers and there's like all this stuff. Like when when whenever he gets killed in Star Wars Episode Four, when his when his family gets killed, it's not like mysterious. He like yeah. knows this is kind of like what happens. But now he takes responsibility and he's like he's not really going to be a civilian anymore. I don't know. I don't know if you'll be able to sway on whether or not it is a coming of age film. Well, I, well, I hope you're excited a... for this same argument in 20 minutes. <laughs> and, and yeah, in five minutes, we'll, we'll be redoing the same argument. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that I chose somewhat of the similar parameters. I think my parameters, I don't. So when I first was thinking about coming of age, I was talking about it and I was like, oh, it's when someone, you know, becomes a man. Yeah. Mostly because we're doing, you know, the male coming of age thing. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, some of my favorite movies are like with young people, like people who aren't, you know, 
about to turn 18 or, or something like that or, or move away from school. They're about younger people. Like like you said, eighth grade. So maybe they're even younger than that. And actually, um, one of my top five, it, they are younger than that. Yeah. So I would say it's like, it's a pivotal, it's just some sort of pivotal moment, um, coming of age stories or some sort of pivotal moment in the person's life from where they grow exponentially in comparison to the time frame that which it happened. Okay, so, like, so a moment of great growth. The the, yeah, the that's probably intensity would, of the growth. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, yeah, that, that works. That's similar to what I'm getting at. I think. Yeah, except for mine's better because I don't have Star Wars on my list. No. <laughs> okay, Ooh. so I'm gonna. Go it's one of the good Star Wars. It's one of the good Star Wars. That's true. Like if you had said like Phantom Menace, we might have had a bigger problem. Nothing happens in Phantom Menace. Nothing. Well, I don't know. Anakin <laughs> grows quite a bit in Phantom Does Menace. He? You know. I don't he starts off as like a little slave kid and then he becomes a Jedi by the end. So if you're gonna make a, a an argument of that for first movie four, then you better be able to make an argument for episode one. My argument against episode one is at the very beginning he's already a savant space he's already a savant like um uh racer pilot. Okay. So it's That's a, okay, yeah. And he doesn't really learn any he doesn't get to do any Jedi stuff till the second he movie. That's true. That's true. And then, okay. So then, is the coming of age story actually? It's uh, Luke. episode three. No, <laughs> no. The only story is the, there's 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 um there's three good stories in Star Wars, and they're called A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. <laughs> true. I, I I can agree with that. <laughs> Uh, all right. So um, my top five list, I'll go ahead and go first, and then we'll uh-huh. go through um, yours. So cool. um, in top five fashion. My Desert Island all-time top five most memorable male coming-of-age movies are as follows. Um, number one, actually, I'll go, I'll Wait, go back. One I'll best? Start with, yeah, number one's the best, but okay. I'll, I'll start off on number five. Because okay. I think that's, you know, we're building up. Yeah. So number five, um, Secondhand Lions. Okay. Number four, Ashby. Number three, The Way Way Back. Number two, We the Animals. And number one, Kings of Summer. I haven't seen any of these movies. Oh, oh <laughs> good. That's like my goal in life is to like do movies that people haven't seen so that they're aware. Yeah, um, I haven't. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard of I've heard of some of these, but I haven't seen them. Okay. So what what let me uh what what is your list? Okay. Um my desert time. My <laughs> here we go. My desert island all-time top 5 most memorable male coming of age movies. Um number 5, I put uh Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, good one. Um, number four, I put uh, Starship Troopers from 1997, the one, the Paul Verhoeven <laughs> film. Um, number three, I put uh, Train Spotting from 1996. Have you seen that one? Um, I haven't, but I've heard it's really good. It is, yeah. And then number two is my Star Wars Episode Four. We we already spoke of that a little bit. And the, my number one is um, Evangelion 2.0. You cannot advance, and knots in parentheses, and that's from 2009. Wait, say that one again. Evangelion 2.0, you cannot advance, but the word not is in parentheses. Interesting. Okay, it's the, so it's the second of four movies. They haven't done the fourth one yet. Um, <laughs> even okay, spell even, Evangelion. I'm I'm googling I'm gonna, this right now. I'm gonna put it into the chat. This is actually okay. a film I will talk about at great length if you allow me to. Okay, good. Okay. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. So I've only not, heard. It's not where you start oh, though. It's a sequel. Okay. So, okay. so I'll, I'll explain where it fits into the franchise and why I yeah. feel strongly about it. 
when I so get there. So other than Even Gillian, I've never even heard of Even Gillian. I've heard all of your other ones. Yeah, wait, you haven't heard of um, Even Gillian? It just came out I on- I haven't um, even heard of Even Gillian. That's why I was so- huh, okay. Neon like, Genesis Even Gillian. Yeah. Um, okay. So obviously I've seen Star Trek, Star Trek. Star Wars. Yeah, um, I've seen Scott Pilgrim. That's yeah. such a good choice. I love it. It's a pretty, it's a pretty I, easy case for a coming of age movie, I guess. Oh yeah. Um, I um, I've seen parts of Starship Trooper. I haven't seen all of it, and I haven't seen Train Spotting, but I've I've heard of it. So okay. Oh, oh my gosh, it's an anime. Okay, cool. All right, cool. Yeah. Well, um, do you want to go first and like kind of talking about your list, or you want me to go first and kind of talk about my list? We could we could alternate. Do you want to alternate? We could, we could or alternate. We could, we could go all at once. Um, either way. Well, uh, how about we go with five? Like, tell me about tell me about your your number five on your list. Oh yeah, okay. So Scott Pilgrim. I'm. I was thinking about this when we were talking just now about how how coming of age is about like transitioning from one part of your life to another. And I don't know if Scott actually does that, but from his perspective, he definitely does. So mm-hmm. th- I think in this case, this is more of a um, kind of just like a fun movie. I uh, I don't does he learn any important lessons? He doesn't really learn much of anything. He mostly um, just not to be a dick to his girlfriend. Does he actually learn that by the end? I guess so. Yeah, he kind of um, does. Yeah. Well, yeah, because don't they end up together? Am I? Yeah, they do. Yeah. So I think he kind of he he learns how not to be so horrible to her, which is I mean I guess as good as it's gonna get for a yeah. coming of age movie. <laughs> I think that I guess I guess where I'm going with this is I I don't think Scott Pilgrim versus the World has a lot to say about like how to live or how to be a man in a modern society yeah. or, or anything like that. It's kind of just like a fun musical romantic comedy sort of like punk rock yeah. sort of like that's that's um on your mostly because it's fun i don't like i don't have a strong moral argument for it mm-hmm. i think um well it's early michael sarah and i think it's really funny because that's definitely like surrounding around a male but then yeah what just a couple years later he's in juno which is another coming of age story but it's definitely surrounded around ellen page's character where it's yeah that's a good point but he also does a little bit of growth in that movie but i would not say very as not as much as in scott pilgrim you know i've never Um, actually seen juno but i've heard it because the entire movie but the entire movie was playing and i was in the room i just couldn't see the tv so i could hear the i heard the entire film your entire heard it. okay <laughs> so i think i yeah I, I think i know what happens more or less um but yeah no um i i quite enjoy scott pilgrim i love the like how they kind of switch because i mean it's based off of a comic so that i love yeah. how they switch from like the live action to like the comic style anime style um fight scenes that he does yeah like the music fight scene or the one, you know, where she comes in with a sword. Yeah. Lots um, of great music too. Lots of great effects. Lots of great, um, lots of great, just like, remember that stupid scene where they're like in the back room and they're like, it's like, uh, uh, behind a concert venue and they're just having Mm -hmm. some conversation and the guy's like a vegan or whatever. And he has like superpowers and and there's a whole thing with creamer. It's just full of dumb. Like, um, it's like a power fantasy. It's like a teen, a teen coming of age power fantasy where like, your one cute girlfriend, like you have to find a way to break up with her to get with this other girl. Like it's, it's kind of just um, like pure fun, I would say. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Well, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen, have you seen secondhand lines, which was my number five? No, that's, um, is that a Disney film? I remember seeing an ad for that at some point. It, I think it's Disney. It might've been DreamWorks. One of those kind of old, well, I guess Disney's still relevant. DreamWorks is not as relevant anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, it's early 2000. It's 2003, um, and I recently watched this movie like two or three weeks ago, and I was like, I remember loving this movie as a kid. And you know what? I'm watching it, and I'm like, holy crap! There's like big names in there, like 
I'm watching this movie, and as we're starting off, my, me, my boyfriend and I are watching the movie, and yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, is that the that's the dude? That's the old dude from the Batman. And he's like, oh no, no, yeah, that's the dude from that's the dude from the Godfather, or no, is it the Godfather or Goodfellas? Um, I can't remember. I don't know. But then we're like watching it, and I was like, oh, it's Michael Caine. He's like, that's not Michael Caine. And I was like, no, the other guy's Michael Caine. He's like, no, that's Robert Duvall. And I was like, oh my <laughs> gosh. Both of these guys are in this movie because they're like this movie is so not serious. What's in it about? Any way whatsoever. And Michael Caine and Robert Duvall, I feel like, are both very serious actors. Okay. What, um, what made you put has, it on? What made you put it on the list, though? Um, I love it. I think it has great. It it it's just like a very heartwarming film. That's what I'll say. Okay. It's, it's I think out of all of my movies, it's the most heartwarming. So it has a good looking, still good looking Haley Joel Osment. Okay. which I love and he's like getting dropped off with his uncles who are Michael Caine and, and Robert Duvall and um well you said like, still good like, looking what what happened to him is he no uh, longer have you not seen him recently Please, I guess not Haley Joe Osment if you listen to this podcast which you don't but if you do <laughs> I apologize I'm sorry I don't know I just feel like he was super super cute as a kid and then like maybe puberty wasn't the nicest to him oh so a real coming of age story. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, he's 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 adorable in the film. He'll um, have to find a new just, job. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's 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 a, I would say it's like a it's a generic early two thousands heartwarming coming of okay. age film. Um, it gives you like the warm fuzzy feelings, but like the cinematography is so horrible. Like it's like it it did not age well. I will say that like. It screams early 2000s from, like, the first two seconds that you're into the movie. Oh. Like, it's very early 2000s, but I, I really like it. Okay. I feel, like, similar to, like, Scott Pilgrim, it's just a feel-good movie. Okay, so it's not a tearjerker. You're not going to be crying. No. Well, uh, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, okay, so your four was Starship Troopers, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so have you, you've seen part of it. Yes. Um... What, which part have you seen? The beginning? Um, I'm get, If I'm completely honest, it was one of those movies where it was probably on TV. Like, I turned yeah. it on, and I was like, oh, okay, I'll watch this. And then I was, like, falling asleep, so I was in and out. So I've probably seen a total of 30 minutes of this movie if okay. I combine all the little bits and pieces. So so a lot has been – a lot of people have talked about about the message of this movie and, like, what it's, what it's trying to convey and whatever. But um, from the perspective of a coming-of-age story, I think it's, like, pretty straightforward. Like, at the start of the movie, the main character, Rico, he's, like, in this academy. He's in this, like, high school. And his professor man, the, uh, the, the teacher dude, Michael Ironsides, who's missing an arm and, like, all these – there's all these clear signs that like this is a society at war that like there's a bunch of veterans like there's some kind of war going on um and they talk about how in order to become a citizen you need to um join the military you're not allowed to vote mm-hmm. until you served in the military S- uh service guarantees citizenship and at the beginning okay. at the beginning rico is is sort of not sure he's not sure they they um the professor man is giving this lecture about um how violence solves everything and how like it's it's it, they're fascists basically it's like a fascist society and they're they're at war with these alien bugs and we watch as these young people these like kind of 90210 drama hot teens from this hot high school in california or whatever or buenos Aires, wherever they are 
um, they kind of get sucked into this war machine and they get, they get kind of drafted into this, this military academy and they each sort of form a specialty and they're all, they're kind of having fun with it. Like they're like, oh, cool. We're going to go off to war. It's going to be this glorious thing. And they do go off to war and it is this glorious thing. And a bunch of people die and a bunch of people get hurt. And it's made clear that like the war with the bugs doesn't really need to be like this. That society mm-hmm. only knows how to deal with them through war. And throughout the movie, they keep giving these little moments to kind of remind you like, hey, this is like a weird society. Like this is what advertisements look like in this society. They're just like brutalizing um, bugs. And they're just like, um, like no one's no one's really thought about whether the bugs are even really trying to attack Earth. It's all kind of like, it's all like propaganda to, to build up it, this war it machine. It sounds like very, um, very, what's that movie? It was based off a book at Harrison Ford. It's kind of crappy. Um, Ender's Game. Ender's Game. Yeah, it sounds very. Ender's it's a little game. bit like that. It's a little bit like that, but 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 from the perspective of individual soldiers rather than commanders, okay. and and okay. so you get these 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 characters who you're kind of interested in because of their dumb love triangles and their and their <laughs> silly training exercises and and like um their their weird hookups and stuff. And then over the course of the story, you watch as these characters who were already kind of on board with the military become the same like um what's the word ideologically driven recruiters that had led them to the war effort in the first place. And then by the end of the movie, like half the characters are dead and the characters who are still alive, including our main character are like so indoctrinated. They're just soldiers now. Like they're just weapons. Like they're the, those bits of humanity that we saw up until now have been like squozing out by like the, the horrors of the war they've seen. But the movie itself is a lot of fun. And it's, it's, it's like all these fun big action scenes cut with these, um, these in-universe commercials for the military service and for the politics of what's happening. And so by the end of the movie, um, you've been kind of caught up in the war effort. And it's not really until you mm-hmm. think about it a little bit more that you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> we don't really need to be going to war with the bugs. Like, they're just defending their home planet. And yeah. like this this endless war is, is a political thing, not like it's not really um, it's not really a war of defense at all. And, and so at the very end of the movie, um, you see Rico again, but now he's he's the soldier in the propaganda that we saw from the beginning. Like the propaganda has been shot again with the new generation, and it's and it's the people who recruited him before. They're now replaced by him. Like they've become the next their next phase in the process of indoctrinating like the next generation of soldiers. Okay. So in the context of the story and of like where this character lives, he's an adult now. Like he's no okay. longer he's now responsible. He's a soldier. He's He's a veteran. He's going to recruit more people. But like there's no um, – there's like so few mechanisms in their society to to deal with what's happening. And it's once he's completely given up and he's like become a cog in the machine, then he's come of age in their society. And it's sad. Okay. Because he didn't – he wasn't – didn't need to be that way. Interesting. See, I don't know if I would have ever – I guess, again, like Star Wars, I don't know if I would have said Star Trek Trooper is a coming of age film, but you are pretty making a pretty good case for it. Thank you. Maybe better than Star Wars, but we'll see. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, okay, so my number four was Ashby, um, okay. which I think a lot of people haven't seen. It was released um, at TIFF, um, not Toronto, Tribeca, mm-hmm. uh, the Tribeca Film Festival um in 2015 i like it mickey rorick's in it so coming of age film with mickey rorick people are like what because he's like he does a lot of gritty stuff um it has he was in Na- um the wrestler right that yeah he's in the wrestler yeah he Which was great also, as i was looking up 
Mickey Rorick. Like, I think he, he has a very unique face now due to a lot of yeah. plastic surgery. But he was very good looking when he was younger. Ooh. And so I was like, oh, you poor thing. Because oh. he had a lot of his face, the plastic surgery that he got was all reconstruction because he was wrestling and his face just got so messed up. But he was yeah. acting at the same time. So it was, it, he had to get it reconstructed. Um, but anyway, so yeah, uh, I like that. I like this movie because he's in it specifically because he's typically such a gritty actor. Um, but the the male in question is uh, played by Nat Wolf, who I feel like Nat, there's Nat Wolf and then there's his, his brother, who I think is Zach Wolf. It's like Nat and Zach or Nat okay. and Matt or something. I don't know. Yeah. There's two. The Wolf the Brothers. Wolves. We'll call them the Wolf Brothers. This is one of the Wolf Brothers. Um, and, you know, he just plays this, you know, like some little high school kid who just showed up into town. Um, and they have to talk to, like, an older person in their community. And uh, Mickey Rourke's <sighs> character is, is an next-door neighbor. And so he mm-hmm. starts talking to him and you know, learning all this stuff about him. Of course, Mickey Rourke, like, leads him to become, like, a cool man who, you know, like, he's nerdy in the beginning, and then he's, like, playing football for the football team and, like, is all cool and popular and, you know, whatever. Um, but then he, Mickey Rourke's like, yeah, you're cool and popular now, but, like, don't forget about the people who got you there and, like, don't forget about the girl that you liked when you were nerdy, blah, 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 blah. Your yeah. standard, typical um, coming-of-age film. I think I really like this because Nat Wolf was in it. I love Nat Wolf. I think he is a great um uh, he's in quite a few like male coming of age films and female based coming of age films um i like him and his brother quite a bit but this one definitely got on the list because mickey rorick i love it when i see <laughs> i mean similar to michael Caine and robert duvall which is like weird because the movie's supposed to be about about you know the guy for coming of age but i yeah. think that his character mickey rorick's character kind of stole this movie okay um but like I like it when I see actors who I don't expect to be in like kind of cheesy uh, coming of age films to be in them. So I was super into it. I was I was into it. But okay. Yeah. Um. Again, similar to Secondhand Lions, I will say this movie is. It's it's not like the greatest coming of age film ever. Um. It, I I quite enjoy it myself. You could be okay if you never watched it, but I think you would do no harm if you watched it either. I I, okay. I enjoy it. I I would recommend it to see once, it d- and if you enjoy film, it, watch it more than once. Film does no harm. Exactly. Yeah. It leaves um, yeah. you. It leaves you better than it found you. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. It's a good. It's so, a good mo- movie. Policy. Okay. Train spotting. I feel like train spotting to me is the real coming of age film on your list the only one you think the others aren't uh yeah i'm gonna say no well actually i don't know about evangelion so that one might actually be one but uh-huh. the other ones i'm kind of like oh no that's not true Scott Pilgrim. i would definitely i would personally um define as a coming of age film so so have I you seen like train spotting is the good the have you seen train spotting i have not but I've, I've i've heard like endless amounts of really really good things about it it's um, so uh, it's a movie about this group of like kind of, I guess you could call them degenerates. They're like these young adults. They're like twenty somethings, and they're living the in street um, dudes. Yeah, they're not. Um, I don't think they're homeless necessarily, but they definitely spend a lot of time um on the streets doing doing crime, and doing heroin. They do a lot of heroin, like a lot of heroin. They're all very addicted to heroin. They really like heroin, except for one of them who likes beating people up in bars. And they're all like kind of bad people. It's almost like a clockwork orange that they're just like these bad people okay. kind of living like these kind of messed up lives. And 
um, a bunch of drama happens, but eventually they end up involved in like this, this like drug deal. And there's this whole, he has to like try to go clean. And it's this whole process of, of his life. The main character's life who was played by um, Ewan McGregor. Right. But it's like skinny, skinny Ewan McGregor. He's like very skinny. Um, And he's not Obi-Wan even a little bit to connect it to star Wars. Um, (laughs) And he kind of, he kind of fixes, like he does various things that, that objectively are improving his life, like getting off heroin but he's he's mostly just going from like in a bad place to like in a kind of bad place. So the okay. the transition for his character, he's definitely like growing up. Like at the beginning of the movie, he has this like little um poem or whatever that he kind of recites to like insult people who are like um kind of like fight club to insult uh consumerism and to be like yeah, picking out your TV and your apartment. I don't have the whole quote, but he's like He's like shitting on that. And then by the end of the movie, he kind of repeats it, except now he's like, well, whatever. I'm just going to like, I'm going to join society. I don't, it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> he like, mm-hmm. he like gives up on his, his street life and he gives up, he gives up on just doing drugs all the time. <laughs> so he, he kind of, I guess he learns to be more mature in a way, but, it, but he's, it, it's, he's kind of a, a pretty, um, he's a pretty despicable. He's like a person who doesn't really seem to have his shit together at the beginning. So it, it's yeah. not. It doesn't take a lot for him to go from completely like aimless to like somewhat structured. So for him, it's like a huge transition in his life from like the yeah. time he he did heroin with all his heroin friends to like maybe some other more stable life. So he's coming of age in that sense, I guess. But it's similar to yeah. um, the first two movies that I picked, where it's like a little bit more abstract because he's already mm-hmm. an adult at the start and he's already like doing adult stuff. He just chooses to like be a member of society (laughs) yeah well i mean i think that like a lot of people think coming of age and they definitely think like high school or middle school or something like that like we talked about but i think there are coming of age films where people can be adult and i say that with an asterisk because will i go back in in 10 minutes when we start talking about luke skywalker and say that you can't say that absolutely but cool ready for it (laughs) the real coming of age was r2d2 who learned to take responsibility yeah right (laughs) Yeah, he really he had a glow up in in this. Actually, oh, I don't know. C three PO also had a glow up in the series. Um, Did he? I guess he's in like all one, of them. Yeah, depends he is. if you count I the mean, bad ones. Yeah, you do count the well. If you count the series as a whole, C three PO does a lot of changing, and R two D two is uh, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, so yeah. yeah tra- okay, train spotting. Train spotting. Um, Okay, I will. I, I maybe I'll watch it. I've been trying to like when as we've been doing recording podcasts. If there's movies that I haven't seen that like have been on my list to watch, yeah, um, I've been trying to go back and watch them. So the only um, real caveat, I put it on my list. The only real caveat with train spotting is parts that are pretty gross. Like if you're squeamish about things, there's some like, like gross stuff. Blood gross. Like how 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 gross? Like what's gross? Um, like disgusting public toilets. Like scenes where people are injecting drugs. Um, okay. okay stuff and in, stuff involving like um stuff involving like young people kind of doing bad things to each other and like okay. uh um like like so like it's not, it's not gratuitous violence like, they're living a it, harsh life okay yeah okay okay i know what you mean it's not like it's not like gross like bloody gory you know horror movie film it's gross like kind of realistic grittiness 
Yeah, it's more like scary um, medical stuff where like people, it's okay. like, what's wrong with this person? Like, why are they not breathing? And then like, there's some gross bathroom stuff. There's like a really gross public bathroom scene. Um, but the, the movie's about gross stuff. So like, it's mm-hmm. not, it's like fun. It's the most fun you could possibly have with like a heroin movie, but mm-hmm. it's still a heroin movie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, what was the, wait, what number are we on? Oh, three. Three, yeah. Way, Halfway. Way, back. Okay, let me tell you a story about The Way, Way Back, and then I'll okay. tell you about The Way, Way Back. Okay. So The Way, Way Back is directed and stars Jim Rash, who I love. I don't know. Did you ever watch Community? I don't remember. I did. I watched um, the first like three seasons or something. Okay, so Jim Rash plays the dean. I love him. Um, when yeah, the way he's great. Came back out in 2013. I was working for Paramount Pictures at that time, and that was the studio that released it, if I recall correctly. Oh. Um, and we did um, a movie, a, a viewing of the movie before it went out into national theaters. Um. And Jim Rash came to the screening um, along with the other director because he co-directed it. I don't know who the other director was. I feel horrible. I only care about Jim. Anyway, um, and, you know, all of these people were, like, really excited. um, And they were like, oh, we want Sam Rockwell's, you know, Sam Rockwell's autograph and whatever. And then, like, I remember I didn't like doing this because I was working for the studio at the time. So I didn't really like acting asking people for their autographs at that time yeah but i was like a little schoolgirl, so i have the poster <laughs> um the movie poster and jim rash signed wow. it for me i was like a little kid like as he was about to leave i like tapped him on the shoulder i was like can you oh. please sign this for me Whoa. um so that is like one of my most prized possessions i absolutely love jim rash as an actor i think he's great mm. um way way back again stars so many famous people None of which are the main character. <laughs> okay. Um, they, they decided, like, their main character, the boy, they decided to go with someone, like, completely unknown, which I think sometimes is a really good choice. Um, but other than that, um, it has Steve Carell. It has Tony Collette. It has Anna Sophia Robb. It has Allison um, Janey. It has Maya Rudolph. And, of course, the Octa Triumph, Sam Rockwell, and Jim Rash. <laughs> Um, and it's like, it's about this kid whose mom is dating Steve Carell's character. This is, I will say this movie also introduced me to like super serious Steve Carell. And I know that oh, he's yeah. done some stuff before this. Um, well, this is serious I Carell. I don't know if he had done a whole lot before this, maybe like Sunshine, um, Little Miss Sunshine was a little bit before this, but for the most part, like at that point in my mind, Steve Carell was a, a comedy actor, you know, he was, yeah doing um the office and that's what he was known for that you know all the other stupid comedies so this is the first movie that i watched with him being a serious actor he was great he plays kind of like a stepdad who's a total dick like he's kind of an evil guy and then this boy like his mom's in love with his stepdad and then or his mom's in love with this guy they're not actually married i don't think they they might just be dating but um the boy like hates the guy and was like mom why are you dating this loser like you could do so much better and the, and the mom's like he takes care of us blah 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 and so anyway they're spending like the summer in some you know maybe it's the hamptons maybe it's the the cascades or uh, the catskills or whatever i don't know it's like some yeah. like generic little nice summer nice summer town. place summer place to exactly, be exactly yeah and then, you know, to, like, get away and, like, do stuff and get outside of the house, the kid goes and finds a water park 
Uh, and the water park is where he meets Sam Rockwell's character and Maya Rudolph's character and Jim Rash's character. They're all like little, Sam Rockwell owns the, um, he owns the the water park and stuff. And so, yeah, it's yeah. just kind of him. The The kid is super awkward, which okay. I love. I love it when the main character is super awkward. I appreciate the awkwardness. Awkward um, in a realistic way? Oh, I would say. I would say, yeah. Like he was, okay. he was you know, he's not like tripping over nothing or anything yeah. like that awkward. He's yeah. just like. I don't know how to talk to girls because I'm 13 or 14 awkward. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've all been there. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I and mean, you know, he kind of just finds his way like through his time working at this um, little water park. He just kind of basically becomes a man. As That sounds fun. And, yeah. I want to work at a water park in the summer. Right. I kind of, you know, other than the fact that I hate water parks and I don't believe in them whatsoever because public parks are disgusting. Really? Um, you don't wait, you don't believe in public parks? Pu- public pools, sorry. Oh, public, public pools. pools oh, okay. Public parks are good. <laughs> that makes way more sense. <laughs> public pools are disgusting, especially now with COVID, because sure. not only are you gonna get like maybe a floating diaper, uh, you also probably are gonna get COVID at them. They're gross. Whoa. They're cesspools for diseases. They're gross. Um, okay. but yeah. I it's it is very heartwarming. I wouldn't say the cinematography is all that amazing, but I think the storyline is really really well written. I think um you have some pretty good, I don't know if I consider them A-list actors. You have a few A-list actors, but you have a few like not as well-known actors as well that are still in a lot of movies. Um and it's just it's just good fun. It's really good fun. I think it's a standard generic coming of age film and I will always 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 um vote for a film that has both Jim Rash and Sam Rockwell in it. I love both of them. Is that all it takes? It I mean yeah, because maybe all it takes is it. the wrong way to say it. Maybe is that is that is a sufficient condition is what you're saying. Yeah, like Sam Rockwell is probably one of my top 25 favorite actors. Did you, um, you must've really enjoyed that film moon. Oh, I did. <laughs> I was, Oh my gosh. My boyfriend made me watch moon. And I was like, when you watch the trailer, cause I was like, this little movie looks scary. He's like, it's not scary. And then I was like, it looks scary. And then I watched the trailer and I was like, this is a horror movie. You're tricking yeah. me into watching. A horror it is, movie. I would call it a horror movie. Sure. It's scary. Oh, as it's fuck. definitely not a horror movie. You didn't think it was scary. Oh, I didn't think it was scary at all. I thought was parts it of it were. I thought parts of it were kind of like like scary because he's like trapped, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't say it's like jump out. It's not like Freddy Krueger is scary. No, it's not shocking. It, There's no, no like startling moments. But yes, I liked Moon. Um, but that way you get Sam more Rockwell. than you get more than Go one ahead. Sam Rockwell. Perf- you get to see him performing twice at once. I know. You get two I mean, if you count all the screen. other dead bodies, you get to see him. You get to see a lot. If you just want to see Sam Rockwell, there's like, there's no better source of Sam Rockwell. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So yeah, um, way, way back. Highly, highly recommend. I know a lot of people who watched it who were like, oh, it was okay. The end. So again, I love it. I try to watch it like once a year probably. Oh, wow. But That's an endorsement. It's definitely a movie that you should watch once. And I hope that you watch it more than once because I think it deserves to be watched more than once. It's fun. Do you find more things the subsequent watches or? Um, no, I wouldn't say that. Like, it's not like you're not finding a whole lot new. I just really enjoy the movie. Okay. That's kind of what I'm going to say about the last one on my list too. Okay. Yeah. That is something I just rewatched. One of those films that if you 
if you watch it, you're kind of like you're watching it in a mood. You know how I said I was like I like watching movies based off of my mood. Yeah. Way way back is one of those movies when I don't know, like I can't quite figure out what mood I'm in. Oh, okay. And so this is this is a movie that fits a lot of genres. Oh, I see. So it's got something for it's got a lot of different things in it. Exactly. It's a yeah. medley. It's a medley. It's, it's the like poke a bowl of food of, of movies. Of, of, Movies, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, on to Star Wars. We must. Star Wars. Are you ready? We must talk about it. Yeah. So, um, Star Wars was this movie. It was made by this like weirdo, some guy, George Lucas, who like I guess he made some other movies afterwards too. It's about um, they're on like this desert planet, and there's like this teenage kid, and um, there's like robots, and there's all this crap going on, and there's like a space. There's some kind of space conflict that that the little kid isn't really involved with. Luke isn't really involved with, or so he thinks. Um, and, and as everybody, this bit's running out of steam because everyone's seen Star Wars. So in Star Wars, Luke Skywalker, um, like at the beginning, he's just some kid. And like, you find out later with all the extended material that Luke Skywalker is the heir to whatever, but that's not actually in the movie. That's not in Star Wars four In Star Wars four. He doesn't really do anything. The only time he uses a lightsaber in Star Wars four is, is to fight the little trainer droid, little robot on the ship. Um, the only lightsaber battles between Vader and, and Obi-Wan. And it's like kind of nothing. So it's it's like in the first Star Wars movie, I think I can't think of another movie that does a, such a good job of establishing so many different ideas in the sense of like mm-hmm. this much bigger world. And they do a really good job of taking a character um, who exists in a plausible place within that world, but doesn't know anything about the broader stuff that's happening. Like he lives in the desert. He lives in like this this like plausible but kind of disconnected place. And they do the exact same plot in Star Wars 7, but it doesn't work because we've seen it before and it, you can't just do the same plot multiple times, which is <laughs> Luke's an outsider and then he's, he's pulled into this much bigger thing and he starts mm-hmm. taking a role in like this bigger conflict. And and um, like it's it's they make sure to spend enough time on the desert planet. Like we see him negotiating yeah. with those robots and like we see him like cleaning up R2-D2 and whatever and we see him like... Um, does, like R2-D2 goes missing and he has to go like rescue him. Like they have all kinds yeah. of fun adventures and it's not like perfect. Like there's problems. Like he, he wants to leave home and he wants to go do exciting things, but it's still like a home. It's like a house. Like you can tell he lives there. It's like, yeah. it's like a, it's like a perfectly like there's problems and there's drama and whatever, but like he loves his family and like, he's like a good, he's like a good kid and he, he wants to be nice to people. And he's like, he's nice to the robots and all these other things. And then the way that, he sort of gets thrust into like this much bigger story. And like, by the end of it, he's like a spaceship pilot and he's like a soldier. And like, he's all these things. Um, it's kind of like Scott Pilgrim where it's like the, sort of the ultimate teenage power fantasy, like teenage boy power mm-hmm. fantasy, like the idea of um, there's something missing in my life. Turns out it's because I'm like the Messiah and I'm here to like <laughs> save the universe. <laughs> Turns out I'm like space. I'm like a space wizard. Isn't that neat? So it's sort of the same plot that like Jupiter Ascending was trying to do, but it makes way yeah. more sense in Star Wars because he has some kind of special power from his 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 ancestry, and this creepy old man he's known his whole life kind of was there watching him this whole time, which also kind of makes sense because it's like, oh wait a minute, I guess we are kind of hiding from the Empire right now, aren't we? Oh, you have magic. That's interesting. Like, it just gradually unfolds in a way that like builds up to this rebellion against this. Because we see the Empire destroy Alderaan before we see. Um, that's also at the very beginning. So, like, the yeah. first twenty minutes establishes so much, and then the next hour, all that really happens in Star Wars One 
is Luke leaves home with Han Solo. Yeah. They pretty much immediately get caught up in the rebellion. And then they have almost immediately, it's the battle of Yavin four and they fight the death star. Like mm-hmm. very, it's a very short movie that first star Wars, but it yeah. covers so much ground. So much. Yeah. And like, um, I like the subsequent films like five and six. I think they're cool. But like, even if star Wars was just star Wars and it was just that one movie, I think it would still be like a classic and it would still be like a big deal. And it would still be something people like revisit and talk about. And it would still have like, it wouldn't have the same influence, but it would still be like such a big deal. Like they get so much done in so little mm-hmm. time. And they, and they, and even without really having any lightsaber battles or any, like you already established the mystique and the mystery and like the majesty of that. Like they, 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 yeah. they set up so much in that movie. And then by the end of it, um, I mean, Luke blows up the Death Star. He he's he goes from being a farm boy to landing the decisive being the world's blow. Greatest, the, the not the world the the galaxy's biggest hero. It's like he destroyed a nuclear missile launcher. Like he destroyed yeah. the super weapon. It's it's like Metal Gear. It's like it's a, it's a it's like a classic science fiction trope. But I think one of the reasons why that trope doesn't work anymore is because Star Wars did it so well. It's like hard mm-hmm. to do a death killer planet destroyer super weapon sci-fi plot just because that's star wars and star wars already did it great yeah um so i guess i guess to be honest with you the way that you're telling me this if i had never seen star wars and if i wasn't so jaded (laughs) i would say that you are describing this very well as a coming of age film i'm highly impressed thank you I think that um, it's it's so hard to remember that Star Wars doesn't need all the other stuff. It's also just a movie called Star Wars. <laughs> like it doesn't need all the sixty-five sequels and prequels. Yeah, or any of any of it. Like the, <laughs> Star Wars Episode Four, you can just watch that on its own and be done with it. Like you don't even yeah. really need to watch any. Like you can watch the other ones if you want, but like, um, I don't know. To me, Star Wars is a story about a farm boy who ends up blowing up the super nuclear missile sub. Because like the the blowing up of a planet, like that's a to me that's like a nuclear analogy. Yeah. Like the um, the Empire is a pretty pretty evil thing in Star Wars, and I think that the more Star Wars you make, the more you start thinking about like, okay, so how does the Empire function? Like, why are they in charge? Like, who's loyal to them? It starts falling apart because it's like, well, mm-hmm. wait a minute, why would you be loyal to this um, psychic strangler man? It's like, okay, it's because the psychic strangler man is this, like, he's like the prophesied super wizard. It's like, oh, wait a minute, but the people don't believe in the wizardry anymore. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Like, it kind of falls apart if you think about it too much. But in the original movie, you don't really need to worry about that because they don't really get into the politics of why the empire is in charge or there's plenty of evil empires. It's just an evil empire. Like, that's why it's just called the empire. They don't even give the nation a name. Like, do they even name... Like the like normally empires are like we're the so and so dynasty or we're no this. I think that it's just called the empire like yeah yeah so maybe maybe there wasn't supposed to be nine Star Wars movies <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm gonna do what? I'm gonna spend twenty dollars I'm gonna see a film called Star Wars Seven in three or four years and it's gonna throw away seven eight nine and I'm gonna get sucked in I'm gonna pay money to see it I'm gonna buy a twelve dollar oh, yeah. popcorn. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to enjoy it. Oh, I'm yeah. going to talk about how it's better than the previous episode seven, and how maybe they'll do it right this time. Then they'll screw it up again. And then they'll do it again, again in 20 years. And they're just going to keep trying. <laughs> just keep doing it. Keep doing they're it. They're going to keep doing it until they come up with a film called star Wars, which is just a reboot. 
And that's <laughs> that's where the they're fans gonna, like, are going to... Yeah, they're going to wait until the all of the people who know the original Star Wars are dead. And then they're going to be like, we're going to reboot it now. And people are going to think this is amazing. They're going to wait until they have enough security. Like, they're going to wait until they know that the fanboys won't actually blow themselves up before yeah. doing the reboot. Because I think at this point, that's how you continue Star Wars is you start over and you do like a new Star Wars story and you just like tell mm-hmm. a new Star Like you just you, you, you tell that original story, but like you tell it with different characters and with without any kind of reliance. I don't know. That's what I would do. I'd throw yeah. it all away, make a new movie, change all the characters. Um, yeah. But but anyways, that's that's my pitch for Star Wars Episode four. And why if you, have, if you haven't seen it, it's a good movie. It's got um, good special effects, got good music. It's got um great music isn't it john Williams? very good yep very that's yeah. correct yeah the um, best movie per, um song writer the best yeah in my per- personal opinion i guess and if, I if you're if you're a sucker for practical effects like the, the 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 miniature work they did with star wars like the original stuff and the the stuff they did with like fun lasers mm-hmm. and and like sound effects and and it's not like it looks kind of funny and old fashioned now but it was it was I'd say it, it looks it. it looks better than some like it looks better than bad CG and it looks different from good CG. Yeah. So it's, it's like yeah. fun. It's fun to watch a. And I think Starship Troopers actually has this too. Starship Troopers has another like some incredible. That was like right on the threshold of digital stuff. So there's some really mm-hmm. really cool physical prop stuff and there's some cool digital stuff. And they actually they did a really good job because they do digital stuff for the bugs, which doesn't look weird because they're giant bugs. And they do practical stuff for like spaceships and things. So the spaceships yeah. look really chunky and real, like they're really there. And the bugs don't look real, but they're bugs. <laughs> so yeah. they're not going to look that realistic anyways. So they look like pretty good. I think Star Wars is another example of, like, does the same thing where it's like very effective effects. Like they they chose exactly what would happen and, and what would be on screen based on what they could do. And as a result, the spaceships all look good. The spaceship interiors all look good. Yeah. It's just a, a visually tight yeah, movie. Like, do I watch it and I'm like, wow, this is obviously made in the 60s? Yes. But at the same time, I'm like, when you know, when you have the knowledge of like what it took to make this in the 60s, I think you appreciate it a lot. And you're like, wow, so much work went into this. And for the time, it was so monumental um, in its effects and and what it did. So even just stuff like we we forget that before Star Wars, science fiction usually wasn't dirty in that way. Like it usually wasn't. A, a society that had like collapsed a little bit like usually it was it was utopic or post-apocalyptic or something it was kind of weird that it was like they have these spaceships and they have all this technology but also like there's this horrible political system and there's like mm-hmm. all these like bad things like it's it's a it's like a mixture of genres because it's kind of like a wild west whatever that's my that's my pitch on star wars i give star wars one out of one i think it's a good video it's a good it's a good video good video I, yeah i, I mean is it a coming of age film? I'm still gonna say no. Is it a good movie? Absolutely. Well, here's a question: Would you say that Luke comes of age in the film? Well, again, as I said, you know, 20 minutes ago when I said that you can't have a coming of age movie where the kid, like, it's already an adult, he's an sure. adult. You know, is he? Like, How old is he at the start? I always assume that he was in his 20s, but he might actually be a, a teenager. I, I they don't because I don't think they ever tell you how old he is. I just know Harrison Ford's character calls him like kid. But yeah, Harrison Ford would call anybody kid. I mean, are they even really humans? Like in Star Wars, are the humans called humans, or do they have some other name? I don't for them? know. Yeah, because 
if you think about it, like they're in space. None of them come yeah. from Earth. So yeah. how are they human? Yeah. I think it's sort of like um it's like the Star Trek logic where like humanoid is like the generic yeah. type of, of of life form and humans are one of the common humanoids, I guess. Mm-hmm. And like humans yeah. just come from multiple planets, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't think about that. Yeah. Okay, so um my number two was called um, We the Animals. This is my most recent film. It was made in twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um it is based off of a book. I don't know if you've read the book. I haven't. I kind I have of want not. to read it though. I don't think uh, I'm familiar with this one at all. It is a beautiful, beautifully like I wanted to cry when I watched the movie because it's so beautifully filmed. Okay. Absolutely. Like the, I think the film, the, the, the cinematography in both my number two and my number one are like the reasons why they are where they are. Um, and the reason why this one is number two instead of number one, the storyline is a little bit younger. So the kids that are coming of age, it's told through the story of the youngest brother of uh-huh. three. So there's three uh-huh. brothers and it's told through seen in the, 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 the entire movie is seen through the youngest brother's eyes. Um, and so it's really nice. And I would say, I think the oldest one is like probably like 12, um, like maybe 13. And I only know this because the youngest brother turns 10 in the movie. And then like the mom is always like, oh, you can't be 10 because once boys, you know, are 10, they no longer love their mom. So like, you're just nine plus one, you know? Um, So I think that it, uh, yeah. So they're all pretty, pretty young kids. Um, And they're these three, three Puerto Rican kids. They're pretty poor. um, And I do mention they're Puerto Rican because I think it plays a little bit into like the storyline itself. Uh Um, You know, their dad is just trying to like, scraping by um i don't think they really tell you where it is is where like they live but it's obviously kind of a lower socioeconomic area but yeah um very rural like they don't live in the middle of a city or anything like that like they're in the woods um you know you know cars are breaking down and things don't work um and it is yeah it's just i wouldn't say this is like there is not a story in this movie which is kind of one of the reasons why i like it it's not a story it is literally just this time period of this child's life told through this child's eyes um and okay happened to him and how they affected him and i think that's one of the reasons why i like it is because there's no story um and it's just kind of a bunch of stuff so there's a lot of um white noise like there's a lot of like parts in the movie where nobody's talking Mm -hmm. it's just gorgeous cinematography and you know like you see like these little boys playing yeah there's other parts in the movie where the the actions of the people in the movie like turn into music which i'm obsessed with like stop like they have this part where kind of but we're not in a musical so it's okay, it's okay. realism. like they have this part where like the dad just gets fired from his job and their mm-hmm. car breaks down and they're getting towed and all of the kid you know the dad and the three kids are in the back of the car and the dad is like stressed and he like slant like in his anger slams the side of the truck uh-huh. and then the boys are kind of like looking at it and then they slam the side of the truck and then you know all of their hands start slamming in unison and then the boys start like yelling and they're like yelling like no more work and like play day and like yeah. no more bosses and so, yeah. so it kind of like turns into like this gorgeous beautiful um 
you know, just it, it was shot beautifully. The music kind of blends into um, the the movie. I think the be- I think the best, like, I guess when I'm describing this, the best thing I can tell say, like, have you seen Five Hundred Days of Summer? No. Okay, well, I should. I know that's then. like on my list. That's supposed <laughs> like to be very good. Like, it's like a it very is. good movie, right? But yeah, like there's like, I only said that because there's a a scene in 500 Days of Summer where the guy is like bouncing a tennis ball and then he bounces it to the beat and then that bounce starts the song. Yeah. I love how that, it kind of just flows into that where it's like a natural noise that we hear. Oh, if you like that, you should should seriously watch Trainspotting then because Trainspotting is full of stuff like that. It's full of like, maybe not, maybe not um, that exact kind of thing, but like music cues that are really tightly coupled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, what's happening. I like that. Um, Where it's like, yeah, is this a music video? Like, what's happening here? Where it just like starts getting like very musical. Yeah. yeah, but it's not like it's not cheesy. Like, it's not done no. in a way like because the music itself one is good. Like the music within We the Animals is so good. Um, it probably fits the story, right? It, like fits. Yeah. What, yeah. The, enhances the music, what they're doing. It, none of the music is like um, songs with words. It's all just like stuff that was um, done specifically for the movie. Yeah. Um, I've never heard of this. His name's Nick Zamudo, Zamodo, or something like that. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of him before. Loved it. Loved the 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 route of the of the music there. Um, but yeah, there's just like so many things and it's just, it's a very real story is what I'd say. It's like, it's, you know, it talks about how at one point in time, their dad is, it's just horrible to say, but like he's hitting his mom. Yeah. You know, they get in this huge fight. They, and you know, his dad's physically abusive to his mom and then his dad leaves and he like, you don't know exactly how long he's gone, but then it like goes through like this little fast paced area of where like the boys, like their mom is seriously depressed and she's not getting up. Mm-hmm. And so it goes to this thing where like the boys are like eating all the food and like, it's like fun. At oh first. yeah. Yeah. The point where they're like, they're starving because nobody's yeah. taking care of them. And then they have to like go and steal from the, the store to yeah. get food and stuff. So it's not like, yeah, there's no underlying story necessarily to it. It's just like a very raw real life event. Um, I feel Does like, it feel like it's real time, kind of? Where, like, over the course of the movie, like, are there parts of it yeah, where... nobody ages. Oh. Like, it, I, like at one point in time, like, the the, age, the only aging note they have is that one, that one kid's birthday. Oh. Like, the kids stay other than that, it's just like the same age, but there's so many things that happen. So, like, his father losing the job, like, when his father left their house. Like, I would assume, like because of like the effects it had on the kids. Yeah. I would assume that the father leaving the house was probably supposed to take over, you know, maybe a couple of months or something like, or weeks or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, it, it's not like necessarily like he doesn't, you know, he's not 20 by the age. It's not like boyhood where he's yeah. like starts off as eight and ends up as 18 or something. Right. Like it's, it's straight up just like this, time period in his life but the reason why i would say it's come of age film um is because there he this is another really great part of the cinematography the boy like the part of you know um his idea of like seeing this movie through his eyes he he doesn't write i wouldn't necessarily call it a diary but he has a journal that he yeah. draws pictures in and he writes in 
And so they, between the movie, you have, you know, like this live action film and then they cut in these gorgeous colored pencil, like animated sequences in between it. Yeah. And like each one of those sequences that he has is like a pivotal moment in his life. And that's when he like, they bring that in because he's drawing about it and he's talking about it. And, and at the very end of the film, and this is where it's kind of a coming age, like his family finds all of these drawings and some of them are definitely, um, provocative because one point in the film you know the boys are playing with their neighbor and their neighbor puts in a little you know call this number for a good time like one Uh of those old time vhs's where it's you know um but these kids are like 10 so they don't really know what they're watching and so but he's drawing all these pictures about it and some of them are homoerotic and like all of his family sees that and like you just see him come into the living room his family's all there looking all sad and all of his drawings are out there and he gets all frustrated. He starts collecting them and then he throws them away. So kind of like signaling, like, I'm going to conform to like what my family wants me to conform to, like what a normal, you know, because his dad is like, no, you're like Puerto Rican. We're not into that. Like, you can't oh. do that. Um, and then the very end of the film, he like goes back to that trash can and he picks all of them out. So kind of signaling like he's kind of starting to accept who he is. Yeah. Or like maybe have a better understanding. Well, he's I don't growing. Know, like, he's necessarily changing. if I'd say that this is like a, a a movie where there's like homosexual like like he's it's not like a coming out movie, I would say necessarily. Yeah. But it's more of like him just finding out who he is because he doesn't know. Cause all he does is spend time with his family. Like he there's no this this one person outside, like their neighbor is the only other person that they really interact with in any way. Um, so it's kind of like him trying to figure out who he is in, in the world. Hmm. Um, but yeah, like it it is so, so, so beautifully shot. And my number one Kings of Summer, literally, I think it beats it by a hair just because there are so many big names in it. And I love the cast in it. We the animals. I don't know anyone in this movie. Uh, I don't think any of them are famous or anything like that, which on one hand is good. Um, I think it's great acting. It's more of just, it, it, uh, it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful film. Like, I don't even know how to like say it any other way. It it affected you. It was an effective experience for you. Yeah. Um, It's an hour and a half. It's 90 minutes, but it doesn't feel like 90 minutes. Like it feels like like it's not like dragging on and on and on like some movies yeah. with no story do yeah but it's also it's a good length in the way that they do it where you're like you're involved in this person's life and you feel like you're part of their life but you don't feel like oh my gosh i want this movie to end either huh yeah i mean that's good it's good when like you forget how long a movie is when it kind of just oh, flows yeah. i felt that way about not that it's anything like what you're saying but i felt that way with um avengers endgame or it's like three hours long, but it feels it feels like half an hour. It doesn't feel like three hours. Yeah, I would yeah, agree. It's so fast because um, so much happens and it keeps changing focus and stuff. For sure. That, that's just good. I think that's good pacing when a movie feels yes. like feels learn- more like a, a story and less like a certain amount of time. Yeah. Like you're learning when to put in um like it's always a bad sign when a movie ends and when to put in action. Yeah. And you like weren't expecting it to end. It just sort of stops. Yes. And you're like, oh wait, it's over? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> That's always a bad sign. So yeah. Anyway, but yeah, that's uh, we the animals. Highly, 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 highly recommend it. 
It sounds good. It sounds like a, sounds like a theater movie, though. It sounds like something that maybe would work better in the movie theater. I think it would. Which is not I to really say you shouldn't do. watch it at home or anything. Yeah, but I think if I had seen it, like, on a Tuesday afternoon yeah. in, um, in a movie theater, I probably would have come out of that theater crying. Not yeah. because it's sad, because I don't think it's a sad movie. I think it's just so well done. Like, I'd be crying from, like, how beautiful it is. Like, oh, my gosh, that movie touched my heart. Like, it is a good movie. That's how I felt. I saw um, uh, Roma in a theater. And I remember crying mm-hmm. and being really glad I got to see it. Because that was like a Netflix thing. But yeah. I'm really glad I saw that in a theater. Because it, it, it like really hit me. Yeah. And like you can't, when you're when you're watching something in a theater, you can't pause. Yeah. You can't pause to, to, to wipe your tears and, and, and calm down. You have to experience it all at once. Yeah. But, um... But that's neither here nor there. Movie theaters will return one day. They will. They will. Okay, so what was cool. we gotta go Movie to animals. number one. Is it time for number one? Are we already at number one? Number one, we're here. Number the one. <laughs> wow. Do I have to am I going okay. Are you ready? I'll have you go first because I don't know anything about Evangelion, so I'm super, super excited to hear. Tell me it. tell me what you um Okay, so you don't know anything. When I don't I say, know anything. I Googled it when you said the name, uh-huh. and I know that it is an anime. That's literally okay. the extent of my knowledge of this film. So when I say words like Neon Genesis Evangelion, that doesn't m- nope. mean anything to you. What about um, nope. Shinji Akari? Nope. You watch way more anime than I do. I think that's kind of where our tastes differ. I don't huh. watch nearly as much anime. I would consider myself um, a fair-weather anime fan. I mm. like... I like have a very very low tolerance for bad anime <laughs> so like um a lot of series i'll like watch it for a bit and then i'll just suddenly stop when like i'm no longer enjoying it which can happen at any moment um yeah. a lot like you know I, I like to make fun of um second season netflix shows where like they're just not <laughs> as good anime is even worse because a lot of times the first season they'll have like all this source material and then like the second season they don't anymore and like they need to desperately get more content out and so they just they just like write their own anime is is very anime struggles sometimes to continue their franchises past like the first outing sometimes yeah. now neon genesis evangelion however <laughs> confronted that challenge in i think a unique way so um the history of evangelion is in like the the the, the early 90s or the late 80s or whatever there was this television show called neon genesis evangelion which it, it was broadcast in in japan um and I think it became popular while it was running. The influence of Evangelion in Japan is comparable to like the influence of Star Wars here. It's like oh, it's wow. like it's like incredibly influential. But the difference between it and Star Wars is it's not quite um like Star Wars is extremely exploited by the market. Like there's so many products and tie-ins and spin-offs and stuff. And Evangelion's the same way. But the difference is is there's not quite as the volume is smaller. But but in Japan, Evangelion is this huge business with like all these tie-in products and 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 gambling machines and and um, promotional things and like advertisements for different products and stuff. But the actual show is kind of it's kind of a surprising show to be marketed so heavily and to become this like big marketing device because it's not particularly accessible. Um, Neon Genesis Evangelion, the original TV show, is the story of this fourteen-year-old boy named Shinji Ikari who. Um, there's been some kind of calamity 14 years ago called Second Impact. And um, after that, a lot of people died and a series of creatures have been attacking the earth periodically called angels. The only thing that can fight against the angels are these giant machines called Evangelions. 
and even Gellians can only be piloted by teenagers. <laughs> and they explain later why that is, and it's it's sort of morbid. Um, and so the angels are trying to reach the central point in this like secret base to to reach this like cosmic entity that the humans are holding there. And it's unclear, like all this kind of mystical things that are happening, these are happening kind of above our character. So our perspective into this story is this teenager who's being recruited to pilot the giant monster, the giant robot, the giant creature to fight the yeah. angels. But it becomes clear almost immediately that there's like all these layers that make it stressful and hard. For example, Shinji's father is in charge of nerve and his mother is dead. And Shinji's father is weirdly distant. And it's weird that Shinji's like an orphan, even though his dad's alive, because his dad's a huge asshole. And so there's like this whole problem of authority figures. And, mm -hmm. and like it becomes clear over the course of the series that Shinji has some kind of special power. Like he's better at piloting the robots than anybody else. He's got like a better, his brain can like synchronize with them better. It's, it's sort of like Pacific Rim. Did you see that? Yeah, I, yeah, I was about to say, it sounds a little bit like Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim was they took Evangelion and they cut out all the angsty teen stuff and they cut out all the drama and they cut out all the um, kind of existentialism. Because in Evangelion, mm -hmm. um, humans are not united against the monsters. There's, there's like a lot of different kind of... Um, the, the program to battle the giant angels who are attacking is also the program that seems to have some kind of other nefarious intent for like reworking the planet. And so there's this whole current of maybe Shinji's making things worse by piloting the robot. Maybe he's actually increasing the casualties by causing like more harsh battles or whatever. Maybe there's nothing they can do to prevent this apocalypse. Like maybe it's all pointless. Meanwhile, Shinji himself has all these... Um, mental problems he's like horribly depressed and he really doesn't trust people and like he he's been he's been sort of abandoned a bunch of times and so he gets kind of adopted by his commanding officer who takes her in he she takes him in to like her apartment and they have like this really inappropriate relationship and so throughout the um throughout the series he's kind of becoming more and more important to like the safety of the world because he's the only one who mm -hmm. can pilot this giant robot but he's losing his mind and he, he's kind of started off in a bad place and he sort of gets to a more and more bad place as he begins to kind of um, feel the weight of that responsibility. And you sort of witness all these other pilots, these other teens who are forced to pilot these giant robots who also have all their own problems. Like um, each of his friends has a different kind of problem, like serious mental problem. Like there's a character who, who's only happy when she's better than everybody else. And she's like, she can't function if she's not the best. Like she, yeah. she just falls apart. Um, there's another character who like doesn't, doesn't like think for herself. And so, so she like, she like is too willing to sacrifice herself and, and that causes all kinds of problems. And so they, they did this series and the series came to um, find like a big audience. So by the time they were like finishing up the series, it was only 26 episodes. By the time they were getting near the end, there was like a big expectation for the ending, right? Because they'd established like all oh, these angels are attacking. They're trying to cause this apocalypse. Is Shinji going to succeed in defending the earth? Is he, does he even want to? Like if he succeeds in defending the earth, like what happens after that? Blah, blah, blah. Like it's like building up to this big climactic showdown, right? Yeah. Um, the final two episodes of Neon Genesis Evangelion, the TV series, do not feature the real world. They're exclusively from the inside Shinji's mind. And he's just thinking about the stuff that's happened. And the people in, in his life up until that point are confronting him because it turns out, and this is a spoiler, but it's not really a spoiler because the show doesn't make any sense. And it, it's like, even if you watch the whole thing, it's not like this will make any sense. This is all like happening sort of outside of the show. There's a secret conspiracy by the people who built the, the Evangelions to 
initiate this plan that's related to the apocalypse, which will cause all life on Earth to um, lose the the mental separations between individual consciousnesses and to form one giant collective consciousness, this giant sea of consciousness. And so the the final episodes of the series kind of represent that transition and represent everybody becoming like a, a co- like one big collective and thinking and talking to each other <laughs> because okay. but up until that point it'd been about giant robots fighting it's like a godzilla kind of thing like these giant monsters yeah. attack um and so people weren't happy with that ending they were like very unhappy like death threats unhappy and they like graffitied the studio and it was like this whole controversy and so they raised a bunch of money to 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 create a new ending for evangelion and eventually they came out with a film called the end of evangelion which was a remake of those last two episodes which tells basically the same story, except it includes what's actually happening like on Earth. And you get to see like okay. the giant robot battle. But it's actually the same story. Like Shinji gets wrapped up, he gets like sucked into the third impact. He exists in like this world where like th- like everyone's like it's like this visual thing where he's like everyone's like orange goo and like they're all communicating with each other and like he's visited by all the people he knows and they all have and he has like this long conversation about whether it's it's worthwhile to live as an individual. If, if you could instead live without suffering. But if you live without suffering, you're also not really living as an individual. And it's it's like, it gets very, it, it covers those same ideas. So the joke is they remade the ending with something like equally incoherent. Um, it didn't change the incredible success and popularity of the series. So um, many, many years later, like 20 years later, they started remaking the entire series from the start as a series of four films. And this is the second of those four remakes. Okay. But the remakes aren't really remakes. Like it's pretty obvious that it's actually thousands of years later and this is like the next generation and it's just happening again and they're stuck in like this cycle. Um and so the first movie is largely a remake, Evangelion 1 is largely a remake of the first like 5 or 10 episodes of the series. It's not exactly the same, but it's like 99% the same, right? The second movie takes a bunch of scenes from the rest of the series and it rearranges them and it changes the ending quite a bit. And it changes what a lot of the characters do. And they redo a lot of scenes from the series, but with the characters taking much more active roles in their outcome in, in kind of very specific ways where characters who in the original series were kind of um, a little bit more, what's the word? Like they just let things happen to them. Those characters mm-hmm. start being a little bit more active. And so by the okay. end of it, they do another ba- They do a battle that was in the original series, except the battle results in third impact, which is something that normally happens at the very end of the series. So basically yeah. they've rearranged the story so that it gets through the original story in the first half of these four movies. And so the experience of watching the second Evangelion movie, if you've seen the original series, is the first like half hour, you're like, wait, who are all these new people? What's going on? And then you start noticing like, oh, these are, this is like the whole, like they're getting near the end now. Like this is halfway through, but we're like getting to the stuff that happened right at the end. And so they end up, they end up getting a much more coherent version of kind of those lat, the like second half of the series into something that's like a lot more exciting and a lot more of a like it was criticized for being less character focused and i think that's a that's a valid criticism but as someone yeah. who's like already watched the series and like i'm already familiar with the characters it was this incredibly cathartic thing because this time shinji learns to stand up for himself a little bit more and even though it has like dire consequences and like they actually haven't done the fourth movie yet they've only done the three that's what the fourth one comes out later um and the third movie is quite a bit different i wouldn't call the third one a coming of age story but the second movie it's like um, like Shinji finally stands up for himself after 30 years of this character being defined by like being beaten down. Wait, wait. This movie goes through 30 years of his life? No, 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 no. 30 years of Evangelion, the franchise. 
Like, oh, okay, okay. I was like, like, whoa. Like until now, even until this movie, even Gellion has always been about um it's kind of like a Luke Skywalker story, except Luke Skywalker gets hurt by it. Like everything that oh, happens, yeah. he's not happy at the end. Like at some point he reluctantly decides he has to fight, but it's not like Shinji doesn't want to be a fighter. He doesn't want this responsibility. He doesn't want to hurt people. And and it's not like he wants to do any of those things in this movie, but at some point he decides to fight. Like he decides that he wants to fight. And then there's this, there's, there's a series of, I would say escalating action scenes with escalating kind of emotional stakes culminating in, in like this big fight scene at the end. That's actually similar to a big fight scene in the series, but they like, they like, they reorganized it to be a lot more dramatic and a lot more interesting. And they kind of took the parts of the original series that worked and kind of strung them together with with linking narrative elements that also work. And so it ends up getting to a lot of the same places and a lot of the same ideas that the series got to, but more efficiently in a, in a more compelling way and in a more uplifting way, where at the end of it, you're like, oh, wow, this character is like, I never would have imagined he could stand up for himself like that. I, I never would have thought that he would just like take this 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 action and just do this this like kind of um be this heroic like he's standing up and he's just he doesn't care anymore like he's not he's not doing what anyone tells him to do and and you start seeing like um like we were talking about the power curve like how how luke skywalker gets so much more powerful over the course of star wars over the course Mm -hmm. of evangelion 2 shinji goes from being like like he's already gone from being like a completely ineffective child to being like a giant robot pilot. Like that happens in the first movie, but in the second movie, yeah. he goes from being a giant robot po- pilot to being like literally the most powerful being in the universe because he sort of oh. he ascends reality. Like he he transcends the limits that were placed on him, and he and, and he combined with this this giant robot. That's it, spoilers. It's not a robot. It's a it's a life form, and they like they the, the robot has the soul of his mother or something. Like there's a lot going on, and 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 he ends up ascending to this place where like the rules of physics and reality and like technology and all these things he like breaks them he breaks each of the rules that people put in place for him and then the movie ends without really explaining what that means and then um like three years later they come up with a movie that doesn't explain but continues from that story and eventually they're going to yeah. come up with that fourth movie um there are, there are parts of the second evangelion movie that like you we're talking about like, oh, the movie gives you like an emotional experience where like you, you feel like you're going to cry or, or laugh or whatever. There's there's multiple mm-hmm. parts in this movie where like every time I watch it, I get goosebumps, like the same goosebumps, even though I've seen the scene like 10 times because it's just it's just the perfect use of like dramatic monologue and like this character explaining what they're doing. Then like the music kicks up and then like the characters and they, they do the thing where like the music gets really, really, really intense and more and more intense and then suddenly it like breaks and it's like a lullaby. And then it's like the violence is still going on, and it's like, oh no! Like it, it just um, instead of being a tearjerker, it's like a, it's like an exciting anime action version of that, where it's like the music swelling, and then like a guy's charging up. Like there's a long in the first movie. There's yeah. like it's it's not subtle like the way they build tension. There's a part in the first movie where they're firing this giant rifle, and it takes like. 30 seconds for the rifle to charge up because it has to draw energy from all of Japan. And they're like starting, they're like starting to count down. It's like 30 and like, it's like a city 29. And it's like a street. And like, you can see like a wire pulled into the 28. And it's like a bunch of people like plugging, like hundreds of people plugging in wires and like 20. And then like, it's like, and like zooms out and there's all these like electric currents and like, it's yeah. just like building and building and building and building. And then like, it's like, it never speeds up the countdown. So it's like 10, and then it cuts to Shinji and he's like, oh my God, I'm losing my mind. What am I going to do? How can people trust me this much? 
how could I possibly because he's got he has to make the shot. And that's from the first yeah. movie. The second movie takes those same ideas like way further. And and um there's just some incredible moments where where of just um anime character in in pilot seat yelling at his commanding officer being like no like i won't do that or like like i we need to like you know undo the limiter you know we need to operate on like this like we have to supercharge the thing like i don't care if the machine's destroyed by this like we're gonna we have to just keep we have to do any like i don't care if it falls apart the robot like there's this whole there's this whole hardship like the way they represent hardship is really um like the robots get like bandages because they bleed and so the characters are just like they're just like messed up and they're all like like at one point his arm gets cut off but at that point he's so powerful like the robot's arms cut off and then it cuts to the cockpit and he can feel his arm being cut off but he's become so oh, powerful goodness. that he he can just he can just pick up um he can just manifest a new arm and then he picks up a bunch of trees and they just form into a new arm and so it's, it's like he's gaining this this like godly power and and you realize like oh that's what this whole thing's been about like that's all that conspiracy, all these like backroom Illuminati conversations we keep seeing. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about that yeah. Shinji has the power to ascend human limits and become this like divine entity. And Shinji starts realizing it. And that's yeah. that's it's this is the first time I think in the series where Shinji starts taking control of that. And like even in the original series, and even in the original um that movie I was telling you about, End of Evangelion, Shinji never does that. He actually kind of shuts down. And in the end of Evangelion, Shinji is like um almost comatose from depression he like doesn't mm. he like he's like struggles to engage and and um that's one way to go with it but with this story this version of the story like they're doing it again and they've taken it in a different direction and it's it's like it's like you, it's like you're watching this remake that's slowly diverting from the original and you slowly realize like oh this character it's like he's learnt from the mistakes he made in the original series yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's living it again, and he's like getting another chance, and he's like, it's like turning out a little different. Um, and just as like an action movie, if you just want to watch giant robots fight giant monsters, it's second to it's none. Good. Yeah, just okay. if even if even if you don't care about any of this stuff I'm talking about, th- these movies are worth watching just for the ridiculous giant robot battles. And like, um, they do the anime thing where like in between each battle they'll have like an upgrade, and then they'll have like mm-hmm. a new a new tool or like a new robot model that's like like faster or or has like a different color scheme or whatever. And and they take that idea to like kind of a ludicrous length in the third movie because there's like a time gap, and so by the time the third movie happens, like there's a bunch of different robots that you've never seen before. I don't know. I think it's like it's a, it's both a guilty pleasure and I feel like it's it's like kind of an interesting it's got like an interesting point and it's just like very 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 exciting. Yeah. Okay, well I'll have to you're you're selling it pretty well. I might have to go but watch this. There's right a big this. there's some big caveats. Are you ready for some of the caveats? Oh. Um caveat number okay. 1, you should really watch the series before you watch the movies because they kind of assume you already know what's going to happen. It's kind of weird oh. how much they like, okay. like, like. There's a scene where where the characters are in an elevator and they're having like this tense conversation. In the original series, it, it the conversation starts in it in the same way in both, but it ends in a completely different way. And like, if you watch this, if you watch the movies, it's not like it doesn't make sense. It makes sense on its own, but it makes way more sense when you know like what they change. because yeah. it's like, yeah, oh, yeah. I see. The characters are like changing in this way. Um, the other big problem with Evangelion is Netflix has the rights to the original series and the movie, the EOE end of Evangelion movie. Um, mm-hmm. But they didn't get the rights to the translation, so they had to retranslate it. And their translation sucks. <laughs> what? Oh, 
because they say, I was like okay they translated it it's not that it's an inaccurate translation they translated it very literally but they like um they missed the point they it's almost like they willfully missed the point of certain dialogue yeah. like there's a there's a whole um homoerotic subplot that they kind of cut out by changing some key lines that I feel like make the story not really make sense um and like a lot of the a lot of like I went back and I was like scrubbing through end of Evangelion a little bit and I was like looking for a line of dialogue I remembered and they they just butchered it and I was like nope I don't want to watch this <laughs> even as a rewatch so and the movies have not been released officially in America so you're on your own to find those okay you can get DVDs so there's okay. two ways to watch Evangelion is where I'm going with this you can either watch the series and then the movies or you can start with the remakes but if you start with the remakes you're missing some context it all makes sense. And you can always go back yeah. more to the series. It's not going to be like any more confusing than it normally is. It's but also Evangelion is supposed to be confusing. It's it's a story about a bunch of conspiracies happening, told from the perspective of people who are not in on those conspiracies. Mm, mm, it's it's told okay. by people who are being manipulated by those conspiracies. So it's like yeah. you're you're allowed to like don't um one trap to to avoid when you're watching Evangelion is don't worry about understanding what's happening. Like don't worry about. The, the science of, of these angels or anything like that. The important thing is just the teens and their drama. Yeah. Okay. They're just an existential threat. Okay. And and it's not like the Netflix version is not like terrible. It's just, yeah. it's just an awkward translation. It's like too literal. Like they, um, I think they had a copyright problem where they couldn't use the same translations. So they had to deliberately translate each line differently or each something. Line. Okay. So, so they had yeah. to come up with a different way to say what the person was saying, but the original translations already like the good translate, like the good sort of conversational. Like it's a lot of yeah. cases where like the original English translations, like a little bit, like if you look at the original Japanese words, like I can see how that's not a perfect translation, but it's like way more conversational and it's way more just like how people talk. So I don't know. And I don't think there's been a dub, that, or maybe there has been a dub. I don't know. Hmm. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can find. Um, I've been going to this little um, video store up in Greenwood. Oh yeah. Actually, it's not Greenwood. Where is it? Meadowbrook? No, Maple Leaf. Maple Leaf. That's it. Oh. And uh, they quite they have quite a, uh, an, an extensive anime collection. So oh, they'll definitely have it. If you talk to, in fact, um, if you talk to any kind of anime person, they can point you. This yeah. is not like a, it's kind of controversial, I would say, within anime circles. Because a lot of people think it's like way overhyped. But I'm a believer. Mm. I think it's great. I think it's like incredibly flawed, especially the original series. It takes like six episodes to get going. Um, the last couple episodes, even ignoring the fact that they don't really dress the story, just aren't really. Like the show kind of falls off the deep end by the end. And, and the yeah. argument. Like a lot of people, a lot has been made about the idea that the director was like depressed at the time and he didn't, he was like frustrated with, um, he didn't want the, he didn't want to make like a hero fantasy. Like he didn't, he didn't want to make a, a story where everyone was like, yeah, the, the boy's going to win. He's going to get the girl. Like he wanted to subvert that. And I think he was worried that he wasn't doing a good enough job subverting it. So they kind of, yeah, the, the second half of the story ends up being like way sadder and more dramatic. But I feel like with the movies, it's like a, a slightly better balance because it's less of a reaction to fan reaction and more of, like a way it's it's part of it's also they made the story more accessible by making it more like exciting and and mm -hmm. and like speeding up the action stuff but i feel like they get to a lot of the same ideas so even if you just watch the movies it's just very fast paced compared to the series i guess yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay so i'm gonna talk about we're going we're going long here sam yeah <laughs> um, i'm gonna talk about kings of summer here okay so that, that's my number one pick kings of summer um if you haven't seen it 
you need to see it. It okay. is so good. So I think it was released at Sundance, but I first saw it during SIF, um, here the Seattle International Film Festival here, um, and I loved it. It's very similar to We the Animals, where the cinematography is beautiful. I don't there. I would say there are more beautiful shots in We the Animals, mm-hmm. but I think the shots in Kings of Summer that are really nice. Because they're a little, there's fewer of them, and they do such a good job with them. I think that they um, hit a little bit better, um, like because it there is a story. Unlike We the Animals, there's a story. So the main character, who's played by um, um, Nick Robinson, this is Nick Robinson's initial film. He's been on a lot of like coming of age. He was in that movie Love Simon recently. And, oh, oh, I like that one. That one was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the same main guy. He's from. Well, he's not from Seattle. I think he's from like Everett or something like that. Like he's from the general Seattle area. Um, and this was his breakout role and he was so good in it and adorable. Um, and it's basically, you know, it's definitely a father son film because it's about, you know, his, his mom's passed away and it, it, the, the conflict in the movie all arises from the fact that him and his dad, are don't see eye to eye on a lot of things and his dad thinks he's just like some stupid little kid and and needs to grow up and he's just like you're gonna respect me i'm a man you know yeah um and (laughs) is that how he talked like a mouse uh no i (laughs) know it would not be number one on my list if he talked like that um so yeah super 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 good um it was uh what was i gonna say it, it has a lot of famous people. So it has Nick Robinson, who's like not as famous, I would say, but it has Alison Brie, another really amazing um, community character. Mm. It has Nick Offerman. It has, um, who's Nick Offerman's wife, whose names I can't remember with the really high pitched, annoying voice. I know who you're talking about. She was um, in that Parks and Rec special they did, the COVID. Yep, special. yep, yep. That was. So it has, is it Leslie? No, Megan, Ma- Ma- uh, Mulali, Mulali, Mulani. I know who like you're that. talking about. I don't, I don't know her name, yeah. though. Um, it has her in it. It has Nick Offerman, Allison Brie, um, and nobody knows. Like, a lot of people don't know this. Moises, uh, I think his last name is Arias or Arias. Moises is he was in Hannah Montana. I think was okay. his claim to fame, which is so weird. He is the weirdest looking human I've ever seen in my life, but he is such a good actor, like oh, yeah? so good. And he like plays like this Hispanic dude who. So it's like basically um, Nick Robinson's character. And he is like, gets fed up with his dad. His name's Joe. Like he gets fed up with his dad and he's like, kind of runs away and then finds like this amazing spot in the middle of the woods. And um, then he grabs his friend and he's like, you're going to come with me. And then Moises's character, whose name is, um, oh, it's such a weird name. What is it? Like, uh... Oh my gosh, it's like the weirdest name. Oh, Bellagio. Bellagio, yeah, that's it. Uh, Bellagio. He doesn't even have a last name. It's just Bellagio. Bellagio. The mononym Bellagio. Bellagio. Yeah, so, um, and then this kid Bellagio comes with them, and they basically go out into the woods, and they build, like, basically a a glorified treehouse, except for it's on the ground. But it's like them being like, we're taking control of our lives. Like, we're going to live out here. We're going to live off of the land. And we're going to be real men. And it's awesome. And it's great. And we're going to be dudes. And 
Yeah. It, again, it has that really cool scene, you know, where things are happening in the movie and then it turns into like music. Yeah. Um, where they're like out and they are um, hitting on like an old oil pipe with some sticks and then they kind of do this whole musical thing. I love it. That's like, that's the scene that really, really grabs me. I start, I start get like goosebumps all over every single time I, I see that scene and I think about it. It's such a good scene. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, so it's, you know, obviously the kids run away and the parents are like talking to the police about it. And Nick Offerman's character is like so over it. He's like, our kid, like, you know, like um, his one friend that he took, not Bellagio, but his other friend, uh, whose name I think is like Pat or Pat Patrick, something like that. Um, you know, his parents are all caring and like overprotective and like super helicoptery. And they're like super worried. They're like, oh my gosh, like people stole our kids. They were kidnapped. And then Nick Offerman's character is like, yeah, our kids were kidnapped and they took all of the cash, the canned goods, and a knife with them. <laughs> they weren't kidnapped. They obviously ran away. Yeah. Um, and he's like not horrendously worried about like finding his son or anything like that. Yeah. Um, like any other coming of age film where it's mostly men, a girl comes into play and it's this girl that both of the friends like. Yeah, love circle, yeah, triangle, love square, triangle, square, octagon, angst, whatever you want to call it. Um, but not so, here. Like, that's kind of, or is that what happened? What do you say? Does that happen in this one? What? The girl? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say that doesn't a- happen. No, there is a, definitely a girl character in there and she ruins everything. Like basically oh. the guys are out in the wilderness having a good time, being awesome, having, you know, boys night in uh-huh. the, in the, in the bro, the bro den and in the, woods. Um, in the woods and the girl comes in and kind of just throws a wrench into it because both of the dudes like the girl. And like when she finally makes her decision on who she likes, the other boy is all pissy about it, you know, as, as, oh. as it happens. Huh. Um, yeah, and so then, like, eventually they go back to, you know, the real world, yeah. the city, essentially. They go back to the city. Um, and I think, like, like there's multiple scenes within the movie where they're, like, there's pivotal moments. But, I mean, obviously, like any coming-of-age story, the most pivotal moment is probably at the very end. And, you know, they've been out in the woods for probably, like, two, three months. And he's back in the hospital because um moises uh, character Biagio, is in the hospital because he got bit by a snake okay um and he's his dad gives him a razor and stuff because you know he's got his like little three hairs on his chin that he's grown it's time and to he be an adult it. yeah <laughs> and he has a he has a mustache and he comes out and his dad kind of just looks at him and like gives him like the nod of approval of like what to do because yeah his character Joe basically saves um, Biagio when he gets bit by the stake. Everybody's like freaking out, and Joe is like, "No, this is what we have to do. We got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this, and then we got to do this." And everybody's like, "Oh, like you actually know what you're talking about. Like you've learned something out here. You're not just like messing around." Yeah. Um. But yeah. Again, absolutely stunning film. I will say, like I said, there's not as many gorgeous shots, but because there's so few, they take a lot of they take care and they take time and I think they really have a huge effect. I think the storyline's great. I love the cast. Um I think it's a very like textbook gold star coming of age film, you know. Would you describe it as Oscar bait? I I will uh, uh 
Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Okay. Maybe not Oscar bait, but Golden Go- Globes bait. <laughs> oh, Golden Globes bait. <laughs> they're like, they're like. I thought the trick to make a Golden Globes movie was to make a movie not good enough for an Oscar. Yeah, no, that that's exactly it. Oh, that's why I said that. Okay. Like, I don't think they were like they were like. I think we're making a good film, but we don't have enough million because it's a low budget film. Like it was like maybe it was definitely under made under five million dollars. Okay. And so, like, they're like very much like we probably don't have enough money to like make this film absolutely amazing, but we're gonna put in what money we have and we're gonna make it the best film that we can. And we think we could aim for a Golden Globe, but we're probably not gonna try to aim for that Oscar because we don't have enough money to make it. Like, yeah. it's a very low budget film, but it's super, 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 super good. I want a like, Golden it Globe. Like, it's low budget in terms of like they don't have enough money to get a bajillion things, but it's not low budget in terms of its actual production. Like, yeah, I understand. Like a very, it's very well shot. It looks like a good film. It's just not like it's, I would say the low budget comes into marketing. Like they didn't have a lot of money to market. Well, budget is relative, right? They have more money than like, um, like a really, really low budget movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about a lot of movies, a large chunk of like production, like the money that goes into producing a movie is marketing. Like Nowadays, yeah. Millions. Yeah. Like, yeah. You're because I would say, especially Oscar bait movies, because yeah. a lot of Oscar bait movies aren't necessarily high, you know, like you're in game, actually, you know, Avengers is never going to win an Oscar for being like a great, fantastic, you know, the best movie of the year. But they have all this money, and so they were able to market it, so everybody's watching it, and they set a lot of records. Yeah. The movies that are going to be winning the best, you know, actor or best um, movie of the year award are the movies that are super, super well done, and maybe we're done with, like, $15 million, but only a million of that is going into marketing. So yeah. not everybody necessarily knows about it, and you're really only going to know about it if you've if you are super into movies, I feel like not all the time. I always thought it was kind of silly. Like when they ran those ads, like for the consideration, like the Academy Award yeah. ads, I always seemed like a huge waste of time and energy to me. Like yeah. it feels like you should just spend that money marketing to the people. It's like to, to customers. <laughs> I don't know, but that's, yeah. that's neither like, that's probably just because I don't care that much about the Academy Awards, but I, I, I bet you it's worth it for them. Cause like when a movie gets an Academy Award, I bet you there's some like statistical, like it sells X more copies. Right. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, um, I, I it's just a great, 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 great. Like when I we first started talking about this yeah. topic, I knew from the very beginning that that was going to be my number one. It was not a doubt Absolutely at all. Movie. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I rave about this movie all the time. Would you describe it as I fun? Is it a fun it. movie? It's fun. It's fun. It's not fun like Scott Pilgrim fun. Though. Okay. I will say they're in no way the same type of fun, but okay. it is fun. It's not throwaway it's not, fun. Yeah, I would say We the Animals is not a fun movie. Uh-huh. It's definitely more serious, definitely more drama. Yeah. Kings of Summer is drama and fun, uh-huh. and Scott Pilgrim is all fun. Scott Pilgrim is like a video game. <laughs> Scott yeah. Pilgrim is like, <laughs> um, and I mean that not in the sense of what video games ought to be, but in the sense of what video games generally are, like the Fortnite yeah. Kind of just like the yeah, fun yeah, yeah. festival of theme park ride kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, Kings of Summer. It's a highly recommended. It sounds cool. Like, the going to the woods. 
Oh, yeah, it's just and, and, and like you know, I'm pretty sure. Why well, I, I think it. I think about going to the woods all the time. Like that's a <laughs> that's like a regular thought where I'm like, oh, this sucks. Let's go in the woods. Like I <laughs> I say that too. I'm like, let's go live in the woods. So I, I feel like a movie yeah. about a bunch of boys going to live in the woods might be relatable. And I think they shot it actually in on location. Like I don't think any of it took place on a green, you know, like on a yeah, yeah, on a lot. Well, whether it did or didn't, it, it, it pulled it off. If you weren't it sure, it pulled it off. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's just it. It's beautiful. I will say, like, definitely more of a storyline than mm-hmm. we be animals, but nobody ages in similar fashion nobody ate you know you're not yeah. going 15 years down five years down the thing nobody's aging but it is a, it, it's they're you know they're these boys that do this thing to prove themselves as big men and then their act doesn't necessarily prove them as men but like something that is a um isn't a is a later effect of their act makes them like oh yeah now we're men yeah yeah well it's part of their journey yeah so yeah, um, it sounds good. I, I cannot, I, I cannot recommend this movie enough. I cannot. I'm so mad because I don't think it actually went into any like major theaters. I think it was only on independent. Like I said, I watched it at SIF. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was only independent theaters. It was. I'm pretty sure it was released in Sundance. So very. You know, it was made probably for people who go to festivals yeah and uh it, it's not really made for the mainstream but i think it should be almost not according not to um the mainstream, but like according to wikipedia it almost made its money back oh look okay <laughs> <laughs> almost wow yeah well almost means it did because if, if a movie's box office almost reaches the production cost they always make more money on rentals later yeah so yeah anyway highly 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 recommend it cool um so yeah that's a good a good top five so now yeah. that you've heard my top five and i've yeah. heard your top five would you change anything um yes actually i keep thinking i should have put um a silent voice on my list because that's a great movie okay and and that's one that more people should watch it's about a, I... um... oh sorry go ahead i was gonna say it's about a little kid uh, this boy and and there's this um and he's kind of um um maybe he's being bullied a little bit. He's like having kind of a hard time. He's like, it's like, it's like elementary school. They're in like fifth grade or something. They're like very young. It's a, it's an animated film. Um, and this girl transfers into their school and she's deaf and he, and he, and he bullies her. And then it's over the course of the next like years of their life together, going to school, how he learns like to, to end the cycle of bullying. And, and they end up obviously more stuff happens, but the, the, the people who were bullied become the bullies and eventually learn how wrong that was. And then they become, they learn together and they cry a lot and yeah. it's very sad and it's very emotional and it's very intense. Now that is a tearjerker of a film because it's about so, kids learning stuff. stuff. So I'm trying not to spoil it. It's on Netflix. I think you, you wouldn't necessarily change to a movie that was on either of our list, but you would change it because we, we, it came up in person. We, well, we were talking, we were talking about, we were talking about anime. Yeah, yeah. We we're talking about tearjerkers and so, I was like, Oh yeah, that movie's about, that's like the classic. Is it is it a male coming of age film or is it just? Yeah, like um, it is. Yeah, it's because it's it's like at the beginning he's um, he's like depressed and he's like desperate for any kind of social standing. So he 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 like he's mean to people because he wants like attention and he wants like mm-hmm. acknowledgement. And then you watch him; he grows up. Like the movie jumps around, but it but over the course of the movie he grows up and he watches like 
these seas of depression kind of grow and he becomes like a more and more depressed person as he starts to realize that he's like hurting people. And then like it, it takes it takes some pretty drastic things that happen in his adolescence for him to like break out of that. But he does. And then he like makes friends and and the, and it, it ends up becoming um, it ends up turning around from being like a very sad, like kids being mean to each other, kind of like tearjerker drama to like very gradually, so gradually that it's actually plausible and makes sense to becoming a little bit more of like a rom-com kind of like, like a fun sort of teen heartthrob sort of emotional. It's very emotional. There's a lot of, um, it, it's drawn in a style where everybody looks really pouty all the time. Like they have huge yeah. cheeks and eyes and everyone's, whenever, when people cry, they, they like become huge and like, it's, it's very, um, it's like, it's drawn with pastels and everything's like really soft looking. And then like when the people are mean to each other, they're like adorable children crying and you're like, no, it's, it's that kind of movie. Okay. Well, I like, <laughs> it's like I a like sad your... parts that are very sad. Yeah. I definitely <laughs> like your list. Um, I will never put star Wars on a, as a coming of age film. I'm sorry. You did a good job. Yeah. You know, trying to convince me. You still haven't convinced me. I understand. Um, okay. I enjoy Scott Pilgrim. It wouldn't yeah. be on my top five list. I need to see train spotting to see if it, if, if I would think that it's actually a coming of age film and if I would put it on my list. Um, but for the time being, I think I'm, I, I like my list as is. I don't think I, I think I want to watch Kings of like, summer from your list. I think that's the I one I'm, I'm, I'm most, um, cause it's it just, I like the idea of going in the woods. Yeah. Um, I think you'll like it. I think we, the animal, like you like some serious movies, but I think we, the animals is it, knowing you. I don't know if it's quite up your alley. Um, I think it sounds Kings good. Summer and, it sounds like I've already. It, it sounds a little bit like I've already visualized the whole movie from your description. Yeah. Not that 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 um, makes it any bad. It's not like a bad movie or anything. I just feel like. Um, well, it's because it's, there's no story. So yeah. like, I've described the movie to you, and I've described like most of the main events to you, so you know it. Like there's yeah. no other storyline. It's just like just life. I bet um, you if I watched yeah. it, I would like it. I think you would like Kings of Summer, and I think you'd like The Way Way Back. But I think you definitely would like be super into Kings of Summer. Yeah, it sounds cool. Did you have any um, like honorable mentions or anybody things that like just barely didn't make the list? Hmm. Like for um, me, it was mid '90s, which I don't know if you've seen that film, but you need to. I've see seen it. it. Yeah, yeah. Good. That's the one with the skateboarding and stuff. Yeah, um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I just for me. I think I think it was shot beautifully as well. I just didn't love how it ended up, in my personal opinion. It felt for me, I liked it a lot too, but it, it ended up feeling like um, nothing more than the sum of its parts. Like it was just yeah. a bunch of fun things that happened, but it didn't really have any kind of overall point or narrative or anything. Yeah. Like it was a bunch of individually compelling moments and scenes and musical bits, and I enjoyed the whole movie, but it didn't really. There was nothing in it that like elevated what was happening. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think mid mid nineties was mostly my my almost made it but didn't quite make it. Movie. I think it's like a good pick, sort of. It is a good pick. Yeah. It's a good pick in terms of like a a young a young boy story. Mm-hmm. The life of a boy. Indeed. Um. Yeah. I'm trying to think, well, what would what okay. did I what did I almost cut? I feel like um it was hard for me to come up with movies that I loved that were also coming of age stories. Cause a lot of coming of age stories end up being kind of um, like a little too predictable for me to like, say I mm. love them. Like um, what's a good example? Like something like back to the future. It's like, I don't love mm. back to the future, but it's cool. Yeah. Um, but it ends up, it ends up feeling like kind of so predictable 
Like I think I yeah. think the challenge was making a coming of age movie. Oh, you know what was almost on my list actually, and I ended up cutting it because I decided it wasn't really a coming of age movie at all. Um, that movie, Sorry to Bother You, because that character learns something over the course of the story, but it's not really it a coming of age. It's not a coming of age. No, I I cut no. it from the list for that reason. I'm agreeing okay, with you. I'm just like, saying no it was on. Way. I was considering it because I was thinking about it. And I was like, oh well, he become he comes of age in a political sense, like he becomes a political yeah. adult. But that's not really. He's already an adult at the beginning. He like lives alone. And like he has a girlfriend and he has like a life and a, he like he's yeah. taking care of himself. It it's not really movie, coming. But yeah. It's not a coming of age. And he goes through a change. Like the main character goes through a significant change in his life. But it's not a coming of age. Because yeah. he's already come of age. He already had a life at the beginning. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, I only have one last question here before we kind of end uh, end it off. Yeah. Um, what is? So what is? So base that off. Uh-huh. What is your desert island all time top five favorite movies? My desert island all time top top five favorite movies. Yep. Of all time. Just of all time, just oh. top five movies. Well, I don't have the top five ready at hand, but my favorite film of all time is a film called um, Evangelion 2.0. You cannot advance with not in parentheses. <laughs> it came out in um, 2009. <laughs> Um, and I make no argument that it's the greatest movie of all time. I think it's far from it. I think it's got all kinds of flaws. It's just the movie I personally have enjoyed the most. Okay. Because it's just something so, about that specific that specific yeah. character standing up for himself after so long really, really gets my heart racing. And, like, there's plenty of problems with it. And, like, there's, there's like, strong criticisms I could levy. And, like, mm-hmm. um, if you watch the movie, there's, like, plenty of things that will stand out. And you'll be like, wait, that's – wait, wait, wait. That character is, is supposed to be 14? What? Wait, mm, what? Like, there's <laughs> lots of stuff like that. And I'm not defending that. I am not defending it. It is an incredibly valid criticism of that movie. <laughs> and I acknowledge, and I, um, um, my love of that movie has to do more with my personal experience of it rather than exactly yeah. what's in it, because there's plenty of problems with it. And, like, even if I was, like, if I was a professional film reviewer for a newspaper, it's not like I would give it a perfect score. But, yeah. It's it's like the effect it had on me was very powerful. Um, some other movies that are like in my top five, I don't know the order other than that, but some other movies that I think about as like very, very, very top movies would be stuff like um, Terry Gilliam's Brazil, um, uh, Pulp Fiction, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, it's so hard to pick. Um, I know, I know, I know, I know. I so I I've had a little bit more. Um, well, of course, I knew I was going to ask that question. Let me come I back to it. Why don't you go? Five. Why don't you go? What's I, your top? I don't even have a top five. I only have a top four, and I don't okay. even know if it's a top four. Okay. But I do know for a fact that my all-time favorite movie is Princess Bride, and okay. I would fight one. anyone to tell me that it is not the best movie ever to have been made. I'm it's, sorry. It's, it's a very it's, it's a very good movie. I think it's a strong it's contender. Though. Yeah, it's like nearly perfect. It's like a, it's like the perfect like fairy tale adventure kind of. It has everything: fencing, yeah. fighting, true love. <laughs> it's excellent. It's got Andre the Giant. Andre yeah, the Giant's it's, great it's, it's, in it. It's like the perfect use of a, of an actor like Andre as well, because uh, yes. it wouldn't make sense if he was like the main character, but he's like the perfect yeah. supporting kind of guy. You yeah. see just the right amount of everybody. Like you get just some amount. Know. Like Jason Alexander's in there, right? Or am I thinking yeah. of someone else? No, it's not Jason Alexander. Um, it's uh, Carrie Elways. Oh, he's good too. 
Um, but yeah, so Princess Bride, definitely number, number one. Um, Kill Bill, only the first one. Ooh. Only the first one. Controversial. I liked the second one. It was good. But the first one is the best. It's, it's, I'm sorry. First one's better, yeah. There's kind of an imbalance in the second one. There's not enough action. It is. It is. Because I feel like they tell you 78% of the story in the first one. Yeah. And then the second one is longer than the first one, and yet you have less story to tell. And so then it's kind of drawing out, in my opinion. Well, originally it was supposed to be one thing, which makes no sense because it would have been like six hours long. So I think they they made a mistake planning that movie out because they could have rearranged it to be more cohesive. Oh, oh. Tarantino doesn't make mistakes. He just makes whatever he wants. Like, he just does it. <laughs> as, a, as a big Tarantino fan, he makes tons of mistakes. Did you see um, uh, Did you see Grindhouse? No, I've not seen Grindhouse. I saw that. Um, they just screwed up. They, they arranged the films wrong. They, they should have put Death Proof first, and, and they didn't think to do that. Like, they, they just didn't do a simple switch because they, they put the very fast-paced movie first, and they put the slower-paced movie second. They should have just put the slower-paced movie first. First Maybe they were worried people would leave after the Tarantino movie, but people left during the Tarantino movie because they were so <laughs> bored. Uh, but yeah, um, come on, one. Yeah, that's number second. Uh, I'd say, I think that like the more I start thinking about movies, the more my last three will change. But right yeah. now I have Sabrina. Uh, it's my favorite romance movie of all time. I love it. Uh, Sabrina? Ford, Julia Ormond, Greg Kinnear. Um, it's the remake of Sabrina. The original oh. one is um, Audrey Hepburn. It's the remake uh-huh. one, the 1998 version. And then I have Fiddler on the Roof. And Fiddler on the Roof, like, I think it's a great movie. I think it's a great musical. I love it. But more to me, it's a it's a, a story that kind of just reminds me of my childhood. I used to watch that movie with my grandma. Um, and I just kind of remember that. So yeah. it's more of like, a, it's a personal reason why it's on my list. And I don't have a number top, I don't have a number five yet. Can I, um, sure. can I say the pilot for Twin Peaks? Does that count? No, that's not a movie. It was, um, it was, uh, if, if the TV series had not been picked up, it would have aired as a television film. Mm, and no, it, it aired as a TV movie happen. in Europe. It aired as a TV mov- movie in Europe. <laughs> Whatever you have to justify, I guess. Um, uh, Sight and Sound gave Twin Peaks season three the second best film of, of 2018 or whatever, or 2019, mm. causing great controversy as people debated what exactly <laughs> a movie was. Because uh, it's, it's like an online streaming show, so it's not really a movie. Yeah. But what is a movie? movie. Like, you could just say, oh, it's an 18-hour movie. It's an (laughs) 18-hour movie. Longest movie ever. But yeah, I don't know. Anyway, well, uh, we're we're running pretty late here. We're at two hours. Yeah. Great conversation. We had some good ones. I'm excited. I'm excited to go watch Trainspotting, I'll be honest. Ooh, Um, let me know what you think. um, Yeah. After you watch it. It's, um, I haven't watched it in a few years. I remember there being, um... I remember there being like like three or four moments in that movie that really like blew me away, and I'm curious if those are the same moments for you. Yeah. Okay. Like it's not really a, a movie you can spoil, but like stuff happens. I guess you could. I guess you could spoil it by you could spoil it by just describing the specific events, but it's not like a. All of the stuff. Yeah. It's, it's not, not like, like Game a of Thrones. Big twist or anything yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. It's not like if I told you that Darth Vader is Luke's dad. Right. Well, I haven't. I mean, what are you talking about? There's only one Star Wars movie, and that has not come up yet. Yeah. <laughs> i've only seen the first one yeah um i was about right, to watch well, thank you <laughs> thank you guys all for tuning back in to top five um we really appreciate it please follow the podcast 
Also, please follow us um, on Instagram and Twitter, and I'll probably eventually get around to making a Facebook page. It'll be as cool, but so yeah. All right. Cool. Um, Yeah. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Have a have a good time, everybody. Have fun watching (laughs) movies and stuff. Bye bye.